long ago in the age of myth before the great plague there lived a pair of great heroes in these simpler times these heroes travelled the land spreading their wisdom which was well received despite the occasional childish ignorance of even them in this young world and battling great foes who would themselves go down in history but as the world changed around them the heroes themselves passed into legend many said that they had entered a deep sleep not dead but neither truly alive continually resting in anticipation of the time they would be called upon once again it is a sign of great upheaval then that in the ruined temples and ancient valleys where folk no longer tread the sound of legends waking rings out and echoes around the sound of two great heroes awakening from their slumber to do fearsome righteous battle once again it sounds like this oh they did fucking what uh. oh. <laughs> oh, you want to do an episode yeah all right We haven't released an episode for two years, yeah. and I don't know that we necessarily intended to release one. We're still kind of deep in the tank on the projects that I talked about in the hiatus update. But Wizards of the Coast have done something really fucking stupid, so this is kind of an emergency episode. It absolutely Don't get is. used to these, but get ready to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... Guys, it's bad. This is House of Bards. It's a podcast about tabletop role-playing, particularly in what we used to call the, like, shared narrative style, and which I think that probably, like, still applies as a descriptor when applied to explicitly mechanically permissive games like Dungeons and Dragons, but in the time since I kind of feel like I've become a bit more of, like, a fiction-first kind of person. Um, so... The podcast's about what the podcast's about. The podcast's you know. about what the podcast's about, absolutely. Exactly. Uh, my name is Alexa, and my pronouns are she and her. My name is Beth, and my pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, why why have we been roused from our eternal slumber, Bethany? Um, well, um... God, I don't even know where to start explaining this thing. So the OGL, which is the Open Games License, which basically lets third-party um, content makers like Cobalt Press, um, uh, Critical Role through Darrington Press. Um, I mean, there's any number of them. There's so many people who make third-party content for Dungeons & Dragons. And we'll, we'll hear a few tales of war today. But essentially, it allows people to make stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, which is pretty good as it turns out because I mean we'll we'll get into probably why they're doing this later on, but let's be honest. What what's I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I don't know that we necessarily need 
I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't know that we necessarily need to explain from first principles what the OGL is. Yeah. We have a 52-minute long episode from six years ago, House of Bards episode 20, the OGL and you. That's true. Which, like, <laughs> serves as kind of a companion piece to this episode, but this episode is also, like sort of a repudiation of a lot of the shit that we probably said in that episode. Mm. I don't know. I only remember kind of the things that we said in it. Um, I I remember but... distinctly being super switched off during that episode. I was just be, like chiming in every now and then like, yeah, mm-hmm, every now and then. So I was like, none of this is going to matter. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, oh, we, we took it for granted. Oh, we took we for took granted for what me. we had. We we took it for granted, and we shouldn't have, because this has happened before. This is the whole reason why Paizo fucking exists, right? Like, like we're this, gonna this... get to that. We're, we're we're giving them like Bethany. We're we're giving them all the money shots up front. I know, we've I gotta... know, I know, I know. We've got to we've got to wait. We've got to wait. We've got to we've got to do that. We've got to do the setup, right? Let me get the pizza okay. box, okay? Let me get the pizza box. Exactly. But let's let's do let's do right. Uh, order order of operations. Let's you know. Um, mm. Let's have a... What's on the agenda for this episode? Right. Because we're a little bit more prepared than we usually were towards the end of, like, the original season of the show. We've became proper uh, podcast hosts in this time. We've matured. We've grown. You know, we've changed in many ways. Um, it's not fucking true at all. Like, my list of notes is, like, 32 words long. Are you kidding me? Mine's massive! <laughs> It's just a list of... I mean, I have, like, other stuff open. Like, it's not just... Oh, yeah, episode. like, I've got, like, loads of fucking articles yeah. open. Anyway, right. Like materials to, to, so to talk about. That, let's start with uh, the before times, right? Because the open gaming license was created by Ryan Dancy, who, incidentally, he's actually started a petition to preserve the current OGL. Well, the current OGL. 1.1, as we're going to call it. Because mm-hmm. the OGL's... It has changed since like nineteen ninety seven, right? Like it's or two thousand. It has yeah. changed. Okay, so sorry. I know that I said <laughs> I'll just go listen to episode twenty. Episode twenty is like almost an hour long, mm. uh, and some people may be coming to our recently reawakened show. Like, d- let's shall we let's like, do like a real brief rundown of what is the OGL and why should you care? Yeah, because um, I can probably I can probably like like. Lay that out, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if if you want to do it, I don't mind doing it. I know what the OGL is. No, no, now. no. I'll, I'll do it because I feel like uh, a lot of the there's going to be a lot of you talking because like a lot of the like particular news on stuff that I haven't been seeing is like you're going to have to like run through with that. Okay, so okay. Why don't I do what the OGL? Okay, so ever since it was invented by Gary Gygax and like produced by. Uh, TSR, Dungeons and Dragons, and by extension, role-playing games in general, have experienced a problem with an inherent contradiction at the heart of their function as products, which is, you want to make money from selling the product itself, but the product only functions properly if it has, like, a permissive attitude towards people creating their own compatible material to like function with it with that product and uh maintaining interest in your product by like sharing that stuff around and this can be things like uh initially probably it'd be like people creating their own settings uh their own like house rules and stuff like that uh for Dungeons and Dragons and then for later on like other tabletop RPGs as people realized this was like a thing that you could make um and so like 
Wizards of the Coast initially were like, this is bad. We don't want it just to be a complete free-for-all as to like who makes stuff that's compatible with our product, but we also need to encourage a certain degree of uh, intercompatibility with this kind of thing, because otherwise our entire uh, product's value, even as D&D, even as like King of the Mountain, the only TTRPG that the vast majority of normies have ever heard of, um, is going to be defined by what we are capable of releasing for it as mm. a like as a system. And there's going to be a large portion of our audience who are simply completely turned off by that, no matter how good our content is, because they correctly identify that the creativity of a general community of fans and of them specifically is kind of the whole point yeah. for certain kinds of player. So basically... The original OGL, which came out for uh, specifically the th- uh, third edition of of D anD D, created by Ryan Dancy, yeah, yeah, created by Ryan Dancy, um, was an attempt to form a, uh, if not an actual contract, a contract like document with the entire world, and it, what it basically said was. Uh, you may or may not have some rights legally to, uh, like, make content that is compatible with the stuff that we produce for D&D as with the Coast. We may or may not have legal rights to, like, pursue you for that in a court of law uh, if we feel that you're impinging on our, like, brand or our trademark, etc. The OGL is a, like, a, a... contract-like, at least, selection of criteria of things that we will not get on your case about. Mm. Um, so you can, you can, you can either take the, you know, take the, um, the chance that what you're doing is completely on the level, or you can comply with this document, and then, even if theoretically, legally it's not, we will not get mm. at you for it. Like, we, we are <laughs> explicitly permitting that. Mm. And, the thing about the OGL, about both that OGL and the uh, original 5th edition one that like lots of people would be uh, more, more familiar with nowadays, maybe, is they were both uh, perpetual documents. Yeah. Like, they, were, they were designed such that even if there were like modifications released to them later, um, those modifications in terms of, like, controlling the kind of behavior that there was could only be more permissive mm. because otherwise you could just go back to a previous version of the OGL and use that as a license instead. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the time, if you see content that like uh, explicitly mentions, um, sometimes not even content that explicitly mentions D and D because uh, so, like at least one of the OGLs I think has like something weird about that in it, about like branded entity, but like yeah. stuff that is obviously meant to be compatible with, uh, 3.5 or 5th edition D&D or that uses that rule set as like a jumping off point uh, that was that would be released under one of the OGLs and um, this is where like Pathfinder came from we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, in both cases in fact I think in all cases because we're going to briefly talk about the equivalent thing that 4th edition had which was much more restrictive there was what was called a systems reference document yeah and basically what that was is it was a like a version of 
the core rules of D&D with like only one example of everything. So if there were like multiple subclasses to a class, you'd only get one of them, etc. Um, stripped down, all of the product identity filed off, etc. And it was like, this stuff is under the license. Like this yeah. is the general gist of the game. <laughs> and you can use this as a foundational point for mm. whatever it is that you want to like be including. And to be clear, the OGL is different to DM's Guild stuff. Yes. Um, if you're releasing on DM's Guild, the changes to the OGL uh, might affect you, but only in indirect ways. Yeah. Your material is not released under the OGL. You have a separate agreement with Wizards of the Coast. Yes. Um, because I th- and this is the thing about a lot of third party content it's not all of it but the majority of it is it's sold to make money right mm-hmm. to an extent it is it is basically it's the thing fanfic authors aren't allowed to do it's why AO3 <coughs> doesn't let you um like advertise for commissions on their website or like link to your mm-hmm. coffee or whatever that is against their terms of services cuz AO3 like guys this only works if they think you aren't making money from it Right, like we exactly. don't ca- like we yeah. don't care if you had advertising elsewhere, but otherwise this is fan <laughs> content, right? Yeah, we we, exactly. we don't care what you do on Twitter or Tumblr, but here you you pretend that this is not a for profit venture, right? Right, and that's kind of what the OGL is: is Wizards of the Coast admitting that they theoretically have, at the very least, the power, if not the legal right, to pursue the same kind of hard line as that, and saying that they won't because, at least in theory, they recognise that a third-party market in custom content is to a degree necessary to make the game actually desirable and functional as a, like, product in a cultural space. I mean, that's not beat around the bush. They recognise that the third-party content, they recognise that this stuff has value to the game like it adds value to the game and it has like you know a value outside of that it has other values as well which we'll get onto why they're doing this now but it has other yeah. values definitely well that, this is the thing like this is the major difference between the the stuff on dm's guild and the stuff on the uh, the stuff released like independently under the ogl if you release something under dm's guild then both one bookshelf who run uh, dm's guild and Wizards of the Coast get a cut of your revenue mm. directly. Yeah. But, and, and so obviously that's the more, uh, like, profitable to Watsi of the two, but it is still indirectly profitable, at least up until this point, to have the OGL because having a lot of supported material uh, makes the game more attractive as a product, and as long as they're the ones only like the only ones allowed to sell the core rules, you still need to buy that product from them. Like it's bringing in customers theoretically. And all that they have to do is provide an incentive for people to produce that content and saying you can legally produce content for that is compatible with and requires as a prerequisite our game and sell it for money, and we will not have a problem with that as long as you follow these simple rules, is, or has been up until very recently, quite an attractive prospect for a lot of people, mm. especially because 5th edition D&D is the most financially successful and popular uh, tabletop role-playing game in the space currently. Absolutely. Like, very much to an extent you could call 5th edition a second golden age, but, like, you know, mm. if you're comparing 3.5... 
uh, to fifth edition. Really, th this is the golden age because it's it's never been more profitable for them. Like it yeah. just thanks to in no small part third party content creators, actual play live streams. Um, it, it's very profitable for them. Three three point five made D and D very popular. But the media landscape necessary to make it like a viral sensation, I think, simply did not exist mm. in the right form in like two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Yeah, in my opinion, like Dungeons and Dragons or even tabletop role playing games, it was something that like you got into when you went to university, right? It was uh -huh. like it was it was something that like you were in university for a bit, and then one of your friends would be like, hey. Wanna, I mean, wanna, yeah, that's how wanna, that's how I got into it. Yeah, yeah. Want to like, want to do some tabletop role playing games? You know, like they're pushing drugs on you, which fair. Exactly. <laughs> and you go, oh, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. And then you know, like two years later, you're a fucking crackhead. That's that's how it happens. But now people just get into it through the internet, right? Like, yeah, for real, for real. So I think we've 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 probably laid the foundation here now, Beth. Do you want to talk about the the history? Yeah. Of, of the OGM. So, in 1997, D&D's <laughs> acquired by Wizards of the Coast, who make uh, those little paper cards everyone likes so much. Um, Ryan Dancy, who he's actually started a petition to preserve uh, the current OGL. Um, so now, I, now I, not, not at the time. Yeah, he, he the, has done this now. Yes, he has um, done this now. Um, but, you know, back in... No, probably back in, like, 90, 2000, so he creates this OGL, and the thought of Ryan was so this is so that we can focus on making the core books, and we don't have to make every tiny little supplement, and we're not putting out content all the time because this is sort of maybe the reason why uh, TSR kind of went under initially is that the, the amount of stuff they were publishing in order to like keep D and D alive. Mm. Um, Although, in fairness, to be clear. What Dancy was suggesting was more or less a means for Watsy to officially sanction yeah. a thing that had been happening underground under TSR for Ab years. Absolutely, like, yeah. The fact that TSR never had the idea for the OGL did not mean that people were not creating and selling content for D&D. Absolutely, like, yeah. So th this was just Ryan basically going, hey, it would be good to make this, like, an official thing and also we can just focus on, like, core content that is, like, sells really well. This does kind of fuck up because third-party books are, like, fucking gorgeous. They're hardcover, they're in full colour and theirs are all, like, still paperback and in black and white. Um, so, when they're making 3.5 they go, okay, well maybe, maybe our books need to come up to a certain standard. Um, and they do kind of fuck over those third-party publishers a little bit because they're like, oh, everything's going to be compatible still, don't worry. You can still work on your third-party books. And then actually a lot of 3.5 content wasn't necessarily one-to-one -one compatible with third edition, um, but mostly they get away with it, right? Like, it, it's fine. Third-party publishers are a bit like, oh, fuck, fuck's sake, but, you know, never mind. And the OGL doesn't really change that much, I don't think. Um, and then uh, a bit later on, yeah, I don't know, well, like 2006, I don't fucking care. Um, I Wizards... think it was 2007. 2007. If it's what I think you're going to say. Wizards of the Coast do 4th edition, it's a fucking mess. 
uh, mostly at Hasbro's insistence. I mean, God, we could we could talk about fourth, a fourth edition could be an episode on its own with the shit that they try to pull. In some ways, ahead of its time. In many ways, uh, belongs to no time, shall we say. Um, yeah, but we'd have to do research for that. <laughs> we'd one. have to do research. <laughs> I don't want to do that. This is already far too much for me. I mean, all of this timeline basically has been done by my cabal of trans women. Um, who I keep on speed dial. So wait, you have a cabal of trans women that I'm not in. Yeah. What? What? Like I'm I'm allowed to have other trans friends. Okay. <sighs> Incredible. You see what she puts me through. <laughs> right. So big thanks to Emma for doing this. That's like this was really helpful because I was like at work being like I'm not going to be able to fucking find everything as well. I I was thinking we need to do this episode right, and I was like it's fine what's are gonna be pussies they're not gonna say anything for like a week and a half and then they did actually say something and then yeah we will get to we'll that get to carry it. on we'll with get the to it but like and so big thanks sir because she really helped me out um so then fourth edition also really fucks over um paizo now paizo were basically doing third party content for 3.5 um, and they'd been publishing it officially in some capacity. And then um, what's he were like... It was because they took over the magazines. Yeah, they? yeah. They took then, over yeah, like yeah. Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. And then what's he were like, we're not actually going to continue publishing this. And Pies were like, it's fine. We'll just start publishing our own stuff and like do it under the OGL. Yeah. And what's he were like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and then... Um, so they were publishing... This is, this is where... Uh, sorry, briefly. This is where Pathfinder's default setting of Galarian comes from. It was originally the framing device for the stuff that Paizo published as Pathfinder magazine, mm. which was the spiritual successor to Dragon and Dungeon that Paizo did after Wizards of the Coast opted not to review Paizo's license in 2007. Yeah, which was, you know, completely up to, like, Magazines don't make any fucking money. We're talking the mid two thousands. Who reads fucking magazines? You know what I mean? But yeah. Pies are like, well, we still have this subscriber list, so we're gonna like keep making a magazine, basically. So they're doing like third party yeah. content, and then they switch to fourth edition, and fourth edition has the gaming system license, and a lot of the stuff in that is very restrictive, and it okay. So here's a, here's a thing to say, right? Uh, we had actually very limited time because of how fast this story is moving to actually like prepare for this episode. So uh, I don't think either of us did quite as much uh, research as we'd like. If you have a copy of the text of the gaming system license for fourth edition, please send it to me because I cannot find this document anywhere. <laughs> like it has been straight annihilated from servers and brains as far as I can tell. It's it's like yeah, it's been nullified from I, the I found I found a like a, a QA, like an FAQ thing that uh that Wizards did about the text of the license, but not what the license itself actually say. Yeah. And of course the problem as relating to our discussion of that is I don't know a huge amount about what was specifically different about the GSL mm. that made it an insufficient replacement for the OGL. Mm. The YouTuber, the Alexandrian, has a really good, like, this is what the OGL is and this is the history of it video. I will just link it in the description because it's... Yeah, I'll, I'll put that in the description. Yeah, it's it's um, very good. Like, he, he runs through it, like, really well. And I was sitting there, like... 
I don't know. I guess because like I don't really pay attention to this stuff. To me, D and D is just a game, right? Um, mm. <laughs> it's just a game. It's silly little game. And then I was like, oh wait, there are like, and I'm like, of course there are big companies behind it. But I was like, oh yeah. I was like, wait, what's he have done this before? Like, what's he have fucked over third party publishers? And they did. Fourth edition was a nightmare. It it ended game stores. It shut third party publishers down right it it ruined businesses and the problem is like because it was such small potatoes back then i don't really think the D community were allowed to like make a massive fuss about it like nobody really cared right you know this isn't like well lots of people cared but they weren't able to make the kind of yeah like, i mean proper fuss it was like it was considered like you know grognard's grousing if you went to your like lgs yeah um but it wasn't it wasn't like the kind of thing that we have now of like you know massive twitter campaigns that uh, that make watsy hasbro like actively nervous about their like fucking stock price in some cases yeah i mean th- this is the thing right like there are people whose entire deal on youtube is like D content there is people like hmm. like fucking the, the honestly one of the best videos about this whole thing is by what's he called crit crab who just does like nightmare D and D stories pulled from Reddit, and he's done an amazing video on this, <laughs> and it, it 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 just details this is all the corporate greed. If she can find it, I will get uh, Beth to send me that after the show as well, <laughs> and I will put it in the description on uh, YouTube and Anchor. Yeah, and I was like, I'm just like, oh, this little cartoon crab is telling me like why, like th- this is bad, and it is bad. They're right. This is a this is bad. Um. So yeah, fourth edition was a fucking nightmare. Um, yeah, uh, but, you know, basically, Watsy lost a lot of really good, um, you know, press, basically, they lost a lot of good favour. Uh, so did Hasbro, but, like, you know, like, and then in 2021, Hasbro had an awful, very bad year. They did a lot of business restructuring. They lost a lot of really big licences from people. They've not had a great year in terms of Transformers. They've not had a great year in terms of My Little Pony. They had a fucking terrible year in terms of Disney dolls, I'll tell you that much. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they've had a shit year. So, you know, they're doing some restructuring and they're looking at their most profitable ventures and a lot of that is going to be Wizards of the Coast to say nothing, nothing of the, what, 30th anniversary of Magic the Gathering? We're not going to talk about that because we could, like... (laughs) There's people have talked about the thirtieth anniversary edition of Magic the Gathering. Um it's it was a fucking shit show. Nobody is in favour of it. But also the ways in which uh Watsy have been treating Magic the Gathering are craven, but not ultimately that germane to this discussion yeah. because they don't there's no like real I don't I can't imagine what a card game OGL would even look like. Like there's nothing equivalent there. Absolutely. We're gonna you know how distracted we get, Bestie. we if we <laughs> listen, don't like listen. If, I, if I don't crack the whip, we're gonna like, I know, you know I know, but off. all I'll say is one thousand pound for like what is basically a booster pack of cards you can't even use in legal play. Wizards of the Coast slash Hasbro, that's fucking disgusting. Like, what the fuck? It is. Like, sorry, but what the fuck? Do, like, what money do you think, like, fucking I mean, nerds the, the, have? Right. The one, the one comparison, right? That the 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 one like connecting tissue here is that fundamentally both situations are, at least theoretically, 
about documents that Wizards of the Coast is not certain constitute legal contracts. Mm. Uh, and to them, I would simply say, uh, either stop doing this or suck it the fuck up. Uh, I, I, I would say to them, <laughs> that's what I, I'd say. But like, fuck off, come on. Mm-hmm. Right, so we start in mid-December now, to 20, 2022. Also, I think I said Hasbro 2021 was a bad year. Hasbro 2022 was a bad year, but I imagine 2021 was also a pretty bad year. Well, I, mean, year I think I think the restructuring in 2021 was either the precipitator of or in response to, uh, like a poor financial year. Yeah, I mean, to be but... fair, they they've had a they they've been in shit recently. Yeah, I mean like poor big cooperation, but like I think this contextualizes maybe some of their business decisions because <laughs> I, I I feel I feel like if you're doing hot you're either going to be the worst people in the world or you're going to be, like, a pretty chill business. Whereas if you're doing bad, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to be a really bad business, right? Just, like, on a fundamental level, right? Anyway. Can I can I actually have an aside about what's in Hasbro? I was going to do this later when you'd finished, but I kind of feel like if we're talking about them this much and the decisions that they're making now, it might be, like, a good thing to say now. Okay. So, uh, throughout this podcast... Whenever I refer to Wizards of the Coast after they were acquired by Hasbro, I will just say, Watsy Hasbro. Mm. Uh, and that's going to be most of the time, because I'll, like most of what Watsy did before the Hasbro like acquisition is not particularly relevant to this discussion. And the reason I'm going to do that is because Wizards of the Coast remain a subsidiary of Hasbro, at least to the best of my knowledge, mm. which means that theoretically, the two companies could be extricated from one another. They are still distinct entities. It's just that one of them, like, is the owner of the other. Mm. So a lot of people, depending on their personal agenda, uh, obviously can find ways to theorycraft either that um, Hasbro are completely like ignorant of what Watsy actually do and don't understand any of it mm. except that it makes money. Um, and this either means that Hasbro make Watsy make stupid business decisions or Watsy make stupid business decisions on their own and Hasbro simply doesn't care until they actually find out from like, you know, the 70 year old men in charge or whatever that it's like making people unhappy, etc. And you can you can villainize Watsy to the ends of the earth or villainize Hasbro to the ends of the earth, depending on your particular sympathies and like what you um what you personally think is like a cool way of framing what you would like to be happening yeah but the fact is aside from like very few cases when like um confirmed reliable insiders leak stuff to journalists we don't know what the internal structure of Watsi Hasbro actually looks like, yeah. how integrated Hasbro uh, leadership are to what Watsi does, if at all, and how much autonomy Watsi has as a particular company, except what they publicly say themselves, of course. So given the fact that an extrication of Wizards of the Coast from Hasbro remains possible, mm. because obviously ha- ha- like Watsi are their biggest moneymaker, so there may be like a possibility for them to be sold to someone else or to be extricated out as a, you know, basically... You guys aren't, like, the rest of your departments are not pulling their weight. We're out of here. It's just not happening currently. So Mm. just at present, and I think for the foreseeable future, it is not particularly relevant 
who is making the bad decisions here? Because Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast are going to remain an integrated unit. Yeah. So I just don't think it's interesting or germane to the discussion to try and theory craft like exactly who in the chain of command is a wrong one. Yeah. These decisions are being made either by or on behalf of Wizards of the Coast, but when it comes to the actual impact on their audience and their professional clients and their partners, it doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to say. Mm. Carry on, Bethany. No worries. <laughs> so this starts in mid-December. Hasbro, basically, they do a conference call with Watsi and they're like, D&D is under-monetized. I think most people would argue that that is not the case. Um, but, you know, people... I think most people would argue, like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, like, what, like... season fucking pass? Like, what Like what are we talking about? You know, maybe, like, underutilised. Like, you know, we're only just now getting a, a new D&D movie, you know? I guess you could say that, like, mm-hmm. maybe they could make more official stuff. Like... Let's let's be honest, and I think this is sort of part of one of the reasons why they want to get their hands on that third party stuff. Is a lot of third party stuff because a lot more of it comes out more frequently. Generally, is a lot better than what Watsy puts out. Like, but the last Hmm. really good thing was probably Dragon Heist, and that's only like good, right? Their only real banger is Curse of Strad, and that's me being very mean to. To like their official content, but like as far as like adventures and campaigns go, like that that's my opinion, right? I'm I'm gonna talk about this a little bit. The, the, some of this is going to like um is is going to necessarily involve retreading some of the ground in separation of church and state, mm. which like God, that episode is also two years old. And older than the last episode we did. You, you will, but, hey, yeah. Look, you're gonna you're gonna find a lot of these episodes are really old. Like, I don't think we recorded a single one for like. Yeah. You know. Was I was was that like a gender ago for me? I don't even. That remember. was a gender ago for you. There's only one, none of none of the House of Bards episode are with, like, are with like you know. I don't know what the correct. I don't know what you want me to say, Alexa. <laughs> oh no, that's 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 right because we did record a podcast episode with me as Alexa, mm. but it wasn't a House of Bards. It was well, we ain't going to talk about that yet. Yeah. You, you'll you'll see if it ever gets edited. The editing is like the the blocker here. Yeah. Frankly, um, anyway, yeah. So some of this might involve retreading uh, separation of church and state. Because I actually feel like this degree of monetization is one of the reasons why um, Has- Hasbro Watsi, like Watsi Hasbro, are so uh, in on the idea of deliberately muddying the distinction between their system content and their setting content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, the notion of a D&D movie does not really make any fucking sense and that's part of the reason why the original ones were not good yeah. because that's not a that's not a thing that's like making a movie about linux and it's just like that's 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 not like a brand right yeah and like obviously yes D is a brand because the game is a brand but it's not the kind of brand that you can like build a 
It's not the kind of brand that you can very easily spin off into non-interactive media, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like, every, every time, for instance, there's like a D&D video game, it has to build a lot of its own context around itself, whereas like other kind of adaptational stuff can obviously just use the context of the more traditional media that like mm. came like before it. And I kind of, I think, I think that that might be what Watsi Hasbro mean when they say D&D is under-monetized. They mean, why is this brand not in a configuration where it can be monetized the same way that, like, a book or a movie could be monetized, mm. right? It's like... Which, and... which one do you think that Hasbro's probably, like, really old 70-year-old men? Yeah, that, prob- that makes sense, actually. That they- They've brought Watsi yeah. in, and they're like, what? Why is... What? Why is this not this way? And what's he like? Well, you see, sir. Um, <laughs> again, not to do the separating thing, but like you, you know that there was like a couple of game designers in that fucking conference call being like, "That's not how it fucking works, asshole." Um, yeah. While, while they had to like listen to these like seventy-year-old men, richer than God, while their CEO goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. "Yeah, absolutely, yeah." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been oh, there. Most probably. We've all been there. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I guess I guess what I'm saying, right, is that like Watsi Hasbro um this is the DMs Guild, right? Mm. Like, this is a, a good a good point to bring up the DMs Guild. The DMs Guild is, I think, the ideal conception of what open content for D D like what what was it Watsi Hasbro want open content for the D D mm. to be. Yeah. Right? Um in that, somebody else, a large number of, of other people who you are not... You're kind of paying them, but you're not, like, paying them, paying them. They're still essentially, like, independents, so they're managing their own finances. Uh, produce money for you by monetizing your brand and your product, but in ways that still feed directly back into your flagship sub-brand, which is, you know, the settings that they have elected to make available um, for, like, DM skilled licensing, which you are using to advance the, like, general marketability of the brand in realms that are not just selling D&D sourcebooks. Mm. Because you can't... You can't make a movie about the OGL SRD because there's nothing in there, yeah. right? But you could theoretically make a movie about the lore of Faerun yeah. or Eberron or whatever. Yeah. So so yeah, I can I can totally see the 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 logic that's gone on at Watsi Hasbro about we should let people make content because that's what's driving our money machine, but we should only let them do it in ways that bolster these existing brands that we have rather than risk them like do all that work and make all that money, even with us skimming it off the top, in a way that only draws people to their writing. Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not, like, getting ahead of myself here when I talk about, like, critical role at the minute. But, like, if you think about the fact that, I mean, on the 20th of this this month, of January, we're getting season two of The Legend of Vox Machina, right? And if you know anything about campaign one of Critical Role, you'll know it's got, like, Vecna in, it had, like, Displacer Beasts... All that shit. Mm. And they've taken the Displacer Beasts out because they're, like, um, not open source content. 
Um, and it's mm. probable that Vecna's going to get a new name, right? Like that's that's very likely because mm-hmm. they do not have the rights to use him in their um, cartoon. Um, um, and like that's fair enough. And if you look at a Critical Role, you'll see them very slowly moving away from like um, that setting's content, the Forgotten Realms content, because in like possibly in this campaign, the current one, campaign three, I think Matt Mercer's going to kill all the gods off, right? And that's like the last thing they have is those gods. And whenever they refer to those gods in this current campaign, they always call them something a little bit different. That it's like, you know. Oh wow! They they bland named product their own law. They had they yeah they they had to because I think Matt Mercer wants to make it so that like they could. You so that they were allowed to post like mm. their third party content through Darrington Press, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like to me, that makes complete sense, right? Like you, yeah. you want. We are going to talk about this yeah. actually because I, I kind of feel like Critical Role is sort of like the weird middle child in like the scales of ways that this can affect third party concrete. Absolutely, uh, like concrete. that situation. Content creators is so interesting. Yeah. It really is, and it's like I, so, like, I don't want to be like let's talk about Critical Role because like they they don't need the the boost from us. Mm. Um, but no, the... but we'll talk about them like as and where it's relevant. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to shy away from topics just because of like we don't have a lot of yeah it's it's yeah fine we have yeah yeah like right. look I, I just don't want to be a cringe fan you know that that's all <laughs> all right right it's all right i'll i'll talk about like weird like esoteric shit like uh, yeah. like how foundry's handling all oh, that oh yeah i mean yeah it's just it's so crazy uh should we go we'll go back to the timeline a little bit cuz i think definitely like we'll we'll bring mm-hmm. this back up more but like that that what they've been through is so... It is interesting. It's going to come up again. Um, so, yeah, this conference call happens and everyone's fucking clowning um, on Watsy and has Watsy Hasbro and are like, season pass and stuff like that. And then everyone's like, does that mean they're going to change or abandon the OGL with 1D&D? 1D&D is, in theory, the new system. Um, but I think it's probably going to function more as, like, 5.5 rather than... Um, Everybody knows that it's going to function more as 5.5, but it makes sense that they're doing this because, like, Watsi Hasbro do not want their brand to be atomized, and I think they have experienced that that's kind of what's happened in the past. Yeah. Like, when they moved to 4th edition, we're going to get into the weeds of this, actually, like, when, when, when it is properly my turn to talk, mm. I'm going to talk about how I think a lot of this is kind of, like, People in, well, probably the Hasbro part of What's He Hasbro, but we don't know for sure, finding out about the shit that Beth has been talking about just now, yeah. like in the timeline, mm-hmm. for pretty much the first time. Yeah. Um, but but you know we we, we will we will get we will get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, go on. So you know, but basically, people are like, oh, they're going to abandon the OGL, um, and there are like rumors going around uh, that they're going to revoke the OGL one point. A, as we're going to call it, as part of the new OGL. Then, Linda hmm. Cordega, who's had a very busy week... Um, <laughs> uh, Who is Linda Cordega for the uninitiated? <laughs> Linda Cordega is a journalist at Gizmodo. We'll post the initial article below in the description. 
Uh, but basically, mm-hmm. it get the OGL gets leaked to her by presumably someone who works at Wizards of the Coast who disagrees with what they're going to do. Because why the fuck would you leak it otherwise? Like, uh, do you know what I mean? I do have a thing to talk about about that later, okay. but we we will get mm-hmm. to that also. So, I and then what's he like? They're fucking. They're like they don't say anything about this. They're silent on this. Hasbro's not going to fucking say anything from this point onwards. They don't care, right? Like they they've yeah. pieced out. They're like Sugar Baby's going to get that money, yay! Right? They don't care. Um, they're like. I mean, if they do care, they don't see any reason to comment on it except through Watsy as a mouthpiece, yeah, right? Yeah, this is a Watsy problem that requires a yeah, Watsy solution. Absolutely. Hasbro are busy, like, I don't know, like, fighting with Mattel in a parking lot um, while, mm-hmm. like, MGA throws, like, dollars at them, right? Um, as both their companies fail. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know. Just a, just a little bit of doll collector humour in there for you. Um, so, like, they go radio silent. I guess we'll have to cover some of the stuff that's in the OGL, but essentially it deauthor- it, it's a, supposed to deauthorise the previous OGL, right? The o- mm-hmm. OGL 1.0, OGL 1, 1A, is bit, it's like 900 words long, right? So it's a pretty light document in terms of like legality this new one is is 10 times the size it's 9000 words long and one of the great things that i love about the D community is you know there's like some sick fuck out there who saw that it was 9000 words long and was like excellent some good fucking reading cuz what i will say is this has really made me love the tabletop role playing community and it's really made me mm-hmm. like like, I don't know how they thought that, like, they were going to get away with this. Like, like genuinely. Like, tabletop role-playing people are, and I mean this with a lot of affection, some of the most fucking annoying people like, that you, you could assemble. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, and D&D <laughs> fans in particular. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a reason there's a version of the like, um, anti-Harry Potter action, like, uh, <laughs> Like Antifa meme that's just anti D and D action. Yeah. Play another game, yeah. right? Yeah. Which, to be clear, I those mean, people now have also become really annoying. <laughs> but like, that's, it, it's true. Let's yeah, not get but it's, that. It's, a, it's like D D like D and D is like conversation warping, right? Yeah, yeah. Like. It doesn't matter what opinion you have about it. If you have an opinion, you will become really annoying. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It's just one of those things. But like, you know, this is this is a, a community filled with like contrarians, um, uh, people who won't do what they're told. Um, well, that's just contrarians, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's also filled a lot with like people who like spin elaborate like political justifications for a thing that bothers them personally yeah. in a really petty way. Yeah, yeah. It's filled with like rule like th- this is why the term rules lawyers exist. You don't think there are some rules lawyers out there who are like actual lawyers, right? Like th- that's mm-hmm. a transferable skill easily, right? And then the rest Speaking of actual lawyers, uh, I have actually noticed in my uh 
in my um, YouTube notifications that uh, Legal Eagle is doing a video on the OGL 1.1. So if you want an American lawyer's perspective on some of the things that we're about to talk about, I would go and check that video out. He's generally pretty sound. I can't believe he's doing an episode on it. That just shows you how fucking huge this is, right? Exactly. He would never... I mean, obviously he didn't have the YouTube channel then, but like... A, a, a pop culture lawyer, if such a thing existed in 2007, simply would not have done anything like that about, like, 3.5 to 4s, like... It, it, it's bad. I, I mean, one of the stuff is that, like, they, like and there was rumours that they might start taking royalties from third-party creators, and a lot of people might go, well, okay, fair enough, but it's 25%. 25 percent that is so much right like five percent you can bake that into your overhead costs right you can be like oh yeah we we can account for that right like 25 percent like you're gonna have to sacrifice something in the production of like your book right let's say it's a book right you're gonna have to sacrifice art possibly or maybe like a freelancer doing work for you like you're going to have to sacrifice something or skim on production somewhere right? Because that's so much money to factor in, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and the idea is it's over 750k, but actually in this agreement, agreement, um, Watsi basically says, we can basically decide to apply this to you whenever we like. So if you make like three grand or like 30 grand or a hundred grand it doesn't matter they can come to you and go actually we kind of we kind of need money so we're going to take 25 percent of your profits or revenue not even profits it's revenue actually sorry it's it's just revenue um and i think it's 20 percent for kickstarters and the reason we know this and the reason why we know that this leak is probably true is head of gaming on Kickstarter, his name escapes me. I forgot it because I've literally just remembered this. He basically all but confirmed it and said, yeah, it's 20% because we we knew about this beforehand and we we bargained them down to 20%. And I'm like, you could have bargained a little bit. Got it a little bit low, my dude, but, you know, whatever. Um, and, it, it, like, it boggles my mind. And there's lots of stuff, like... And I think that's the stuff that's, like, really pissing people off, right? But also the fact that they're revoking the original OGL and anything initially, und- like, they've, I think they've walked back on this, correct me if I'm wrong. Anything that was published before the, the new, o- this new OGL, OGL 1.1, uh, is now going to be under 1.1, right? So anything that was published under OGL 1, they they were initially like i think the text was initially ambiguous about mm-hmm. it what i heard was that everything published previously would have 1.0a apply to it except when what like hasbro watsi decided it didn't mm. um but it it would also mean things like uh even if that were the case you couldn't update any material that you released it would only be a legacy license right right okay so that they, they at least they cleared that up i guess we'll we'll, we'll get into this when i talk about the la- the specific language that they're trying to use to invalidate the uh, the original ogl yeah. uh, because i do think that it kind of makes what they want to happen happen it's just it also just doesn't work generally anyway so what's he's being like radio silent on this and this causes an absolute shitstorm right like 
it causes like a huge ripple effect throughout the community people are like what does this mean for this what does this mean for this and this and this and this um the open D&D thing starts trending um and then on Thursday uh, Watsi cancelled their weekly live stream due to the backlash and then mass unsubscriptions of D&D Beyond begin um over the week which at this point uh, for those who have not been kept in the loop does actually hurt uh Watsi Hasbro because they purchased uh, D&D Beyond to bring it in house from Curse uh I want to say like, like late last year mm, I think so Mm. Um, so th- those subscriptions were going directly to like Watsi Hasbro, yeah. and they will f- they will feel in as much as one can feel like uh, something on that scale. Uh, they, they will feel appar- like, you know, apparently difference. it's been pretty devastating. <laughs> that's th- again, that's like rumor has it it's been devastating. Basically, what I'm saying is collective action works, right? It does. So over the week. At least three major RPG announcements are made. Cobalt Press and Matt Cobalt, they're making their own RPGs. Uh, Monty Cook is going to be expanding Cypher SRD to include more fantasy options. Um, Cobalt Press do like a big statement about it. I don't have the Matt Cobalt and Monty Cook ones. Cause... Um, okay, so actually, can we can we talk about these? Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Um, I agree. So, Cobalt, Cobalt Press is... Cobalt Press is, um, like... Post is actually very short, so I'm just going to read the whole thing in, in like, in total. Mm. As Dungeons and Dragons moves towards the 50th anniversary of the game, foundational changes are afoot in the tabletop role-playing game arena. While we wait to see exactly what shape the open gaming license might take in this new era, Cobalt Press is moving forward with some clear-eyed work, work on work, which is weird, uh, on a new core fantasy tabletop rule set. Available, open, and subscription-free for those who love it. Codename, Project Black Flag. To receive future announcements and to register to playtest this rule set, please sign up using this form. Because it's on their website. There's a, there's a form next yes, to it. Yes. When the new open gaming license and an updated system reference document are made public, Cobalt Press will review the terms and consider whether they fit the needs of our audience and our business goals. The Cobalts are looking forward to the continued evolution of tabletop gaming, and we aim to play our part in making the game better. Rest assured, Cobalt Press intends to maintain a strong presence in the tabletop RPG community. So... What this reads as to me is Cobalt Press had already reached critical mass mm. as like a third party D and D creator. I agree. And we're planning we're planning to make Project Black Flag anyway. And the announcement is more or less them saying, Hey, we're making this. Also in light of the D and D like news, we're gonna be reconsidering how much uh like um What's 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 the what's the metaphor? You know how how far our finger is into that. Part, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to put it this way, so it makes sense that they're like advertising their like their own uh, system that they were probably working on previously. Mm. By comparison, I'm pretty sure that Paizo's announcement is specifically a response. Oh yeah, to, but I mean, of course, what, what, uh, what's he have done? Honestly, of course it is. <laughs> I can read. I can read that one as well, which you probably want to. Uh, so, for the uninitiated, uh, Paizo. I mean, we talked about them in the in the history thing. Paizo make Pathfinder, which I think still is the set like the most popular, uh, like and most financially successful non D and D tabletop RPG. Mm. Um, 
it's more or less like uh, Pathfinder uh, version one was basically three point five with the serial numbers filed off. Uh, from what I understand, um, second edition Pathfinder doesn't really have any like OGL content left in it, mm. and it's it's a different a different game. I'm really not interested, but we will talk about that. Uh, at the end, at the end of this episode, we're going to talk a lot about like other games you could play, mm. um, and and we'll we'll get into that then. But Paizo, uh, they they posted a blog post on Thursday. For the last several weeks, as rumors of Wizards of the Coast's new version of the open game license began circulating among publishers and on social media, gamers across the world have been asking what Paizo plans to do in light of concerns regarding Wizards of the Coast's rumored plan to deauthorize the existing OGL 1.0 brackets A. We have been awaiting further information, hoping that Wizards would realize that for more than 20 years, the OGL has been a mutually beneficial license which should not and cannot be revoked. While we continue to await an answer from Wizards, we strongly feel that Paizo can no longer delay making our own feelings about the importance of open gaming a part of the public discussion. We believe that any interpretation that the OGL 1.0 or 1.0a were intended to be revocable or able to be deauthorized is incorrect and with good reason. We were there. They were. Paizo owner Lisa Stevens and Paizo president Jim Butler were leaders on the Dungeons & Dragons team at Wizards at the time. Brian Lewis, co-founder of Azora Law, the intellectual property law firm that Paizo uses, was the attorney at Wizards who came up with the legal framework for the OGL itself. Paizo has also worked very closely on OGL-related issues with Ryan Dancy, the visionary who conceived the OGL in the first place. Paizo does not believe that the OGL 1.0a can be deauthorized ever. They keep using that word, and we're going to talk about why they keep using it in a minute. Mm. While we are prepared to argue that po- that point in a court of law, if need be, we don't want to have to do that, and we know that many of our fellow publishers are not in a position to do so. Also a relevant thing to bring mm-hmm. later. We have no interest whatsoever in Wizard's new OGL. Instead, we have a plan that we believe will irrevocably and unquestionably keep alive the spirit of the open game license. As Paizo has evolved, the parts of the OGL that we ourselves value have changed. When we needed to quickly bring out Pathfinder 1st Edition to continue publishing our popular monthly adventures back in 2008, using Wizards language was important and expeditious. But in our non-RPG products, including our Pathfinder Tales novels, the Pathfinder Adventure card game, and others, we shifted our focus away from D&D tropes to lean harder into ideas from our own writers. By the time we went to work on Pathfinder 2nd Edition, Wizards of the Coast's open game content was significantly less important to us, and so our designers and developers wrote the new edition without using Wizards' copyright expressions of any game mechanics. While we still published it under the OGL, the reason was no longer to allow Paizo to use Wizards' expressions, but to allow other companies to use our expressions. We believe, as we always have, that open gaming makes games better, improves profitability for all involved, and enriches the community of gamers who participate in this amazing hobby. And so we invite gamers from around the world to join us as we begin the next great chapter of open gaming with the release of a new open, perpetual, and irrevocable open RPG creative license, or ORC. The new Open RPG Creative License will be built system agnostic for independent game publishers under the legal guidance of Azora Law, an intellectual property law firm that represents Paizo and several other game publishers. Paizo will pay for this legal work. 
We invite game publishers worldwide to join us in support of this system agnostic license that allows all games to provide their own unique rules uh, reference documents that open up their individual game systems to the world. To join the effort and provide feedback on the drafts of this license, please sign up by using this form. And there's a hyperlink there. Mm-hmm. In addition to Paizo, Cobalt Press, Chaosium, Green Ronin, Legendary Games, Rogue Genius Games, and a growing list of publishers have already agreed to participate in the Open RPG Creative License, and in the coming days, we hope and expect to add substantially to this group. The Orc will not be owned by Paizo, nor will it be owned by any company who makes money publishing RPGs. Azora Law's ownership of the process and stewardship should provide a safe harbour against any company being bought, sold, or changing management in the future, and attempting to rescind rights or nullify sections of the license. Ultimately, we plan to find a non-profit with a history of open-source values to own this license, such as the Linux Foundation. Of course, Paizo plans to continue publishing Pathfinder and Starfinder, even as we move away from the open gaming license. Since months' worth of products are still at the printer, you'll still see the familiar OGL 1.0a at the back of our products for a while yet. While the open RPG Creative license is being finalised, we'll be printing Pathfinder and Starfinder products without any license, and we'll add the finished license to those products when the new license is complete. We hope that you will continue to support Paizo and other game publishers in this difficult time for the entire hobby. You can do your part by supporting the many companies that have provided content under the OGL. Support Pathfinder and Starfinder by visiting your local game store, subscribing to Pathfinder and Starfinder, or taking advantage of discount code OPENGAMING during checkout for 25% of your purchase of the Core Rulebook, Core Rulebook Pocket Edition, or Pathfinder Beginner Box. Support Cobalt Press, Green Ronin, Legendary Games, Roll for Combat, Rogue Genius Games, and other publishers working to preserve a prosperous future for open gaming that is both perpetual and irrevocable. We'll be there at your side. You can count on us not to go back on our word forever. Pisoing. That is... Um, that's a big fucking statement. And that was the really big one made on Thursday, I should add. Yes, that was the really big one. We, we will talk about the orc in a little bit, mm. right? Because I, I actually... Uh, I have a tweet here... Uh, in fact, I was going to say we talk about it uh, a little bit. I do, do I want to talk about it now? No, I'm okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the announcement from Foundry, because I want to talk about Foundry. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Foundry Virtual Tabletop is a self-hosted VTT. Um, it is, it's like Roll20. It's better than Roll20, but it requires a bit more um, potential like time and money put into setup, because it doesn't... The thing, the thing about Roll20 is it's free. It's limited, but it's free. Uh, Foundry is also... No, Foundry is not free, but it is a one-time payment. But you have to host it yourself or pay for their hosting. Now, I, I really love Foundry. I'm not going to, like, you know, do a sales pitch for them here. They have, like, a bunch of different ways that you can host it. You can definitely, like, host it yourself, but that's a bit more difficult than, like, paying a bit more for their, like, hosting. In theory, you can, like, port forward it from your machine itself, in which case you don't need hosting at all and it's free, but that's, like, a bit more complicated. Foundry have produced an amount of content for Foundry itself that uses 5th uh, edition D&D as a basis because the third party 5th edition uh, D&D module for Foundry is one of the better ones. Um, there's, to be honest, I've used like quite a few uh, Foundry like systems and uh, I found them mostly quite good. I mean, uh, for all we're going to get into our beef with the game later, I actually thought that the Blades in the Dark one was like quite well put mm. together. Um, 
Foundry has like a like a way more like uh, open like modding type community than Roll Twenty does for sure. Mm. Um, so I would say if you're interested in self-hosting stuff or you have enough money to like you know get the sort of thing like sorted for yourself, Foundry is just more powerful than Roll Twenty. If you use a VTT a lot, or even if you want to use a VTT for something weird that Roll Twenty doesn't really permit, I would really recommend checking Foundry. I'm in the Foundry Discord, and they have made two announcements uh, about the OGL thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the first one, and then we're going to come back to the second one later. Okay. A preliminary statement regarding the OGL controversy. Uh, and this is from Atropos, who is a uh, game master uh, of, uh, of Foundry Virtual Tabletop's Discord server, which I think is the role that means... Oh, he, he is literally the creator of Foundry itself. Hello at everyone. Over the past week, our team, like many of you, have been closely following the news regarding anticipated updates to the open gaming license that has served the TTRPG community for the past two decades. A multitude of voices are rightfully expressing anger about the leaked 1.1 license terms. We are deeply concerned too. The terms of the draft license are wholly unacceptable to the creator community. We have directly communicated those concerns to Wizards of the Coast. We are committed to supporting our fantastic network of content creator partners, many of whom create content for D&D or other game systems using the OGL. We are determined to offer an industry-leading virtual tabletop that supports our users' most beloved game systems to the extent allowed by licensing requirements. It is unfortunate that Wizards of the Coast has not posted an official statement. You You just wait, mate. Many creators are rightfully feeling as if their livelihoods are under attack. We had wished to share a statement in response to official details posted by Watsi, but after several days of silence on the issue, we feel compelled to join our team's voice to this conversation. We hope that the strong community reaction and lack of official response imply that this dangerous path is being actively reconsidered. Until we have more clarity, it is essential for the community to continue expressing concerns to ensure the seriousness of this issue is understood by decision-makers at Watsi and Hasbro. We encourage you to engage respectfully with this issue using the following resources. The OGL channel on this Discord server, where you may discuss this topic. The OpenDnd.games website, which contains an open letter discussing the issue, as well as links to several resources to learn more. And the hashtag OpenD, OpenDnd hashtag on Twitter and other social media platforms. And that was posted on the 8th of January, right? So about a week ago at this point. Uh, we're, we're recording on the 14th for those playing along at home if it turns out that I like spend a long time. I mean, given the time sensitivity of the uh, of the subject, I'm going to try and get this one out as quick as possible, but mm, we will see. It will depend on how much time I have for things. Okay. Uh, so, then, uh, I think the next thing that happens is, like, uh, ha- Watsi Hasbro post their update, right? Well, this is the thing. I just want to say this about Paizo's, like, thing. They posted that within, like, hours of Watsi cancelling their Twitch stream. So, basically, like, Watsi were like, oh, no, uh, no, we're not gonna, uh, no, we're not gonna talk about it. And then Paizo was like, we'll give you something to fucking talk about, right? Uh, I mean, which... to be honest, like, not, not to be a cynic, but given how much of their, like, identity and success has revolved around sitting across the table from Watsi on the subject of the OGL in specific, I kind of feel like Paizo probably had this ready to go. I think so. They were just... as, a, as a concept. I mean, yeah. obviously not the, the orc itself, because they haven't released like a document for it, but the notion that they would have to like pick up the torch for Watsi, I think 
Paizo have probably known for a long time. Yeah, I think, yeah, they always knew it was, like, heading in that direction. I just think it's very sexy of them. Uh, I know I know they're mm. a company and they don't love me, but I, I think it's very sexy of them. Uh, you know, that's all I'm saying. Um, mm. So, yeah, following this, uh, on the Friday, possibly? Uh, I'm assuming it was the literally, Friday. Literally, well, hang on, what are we talking about? Uh, what's his announcement? Their mealy mouth reply. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, though no, that was that was yesterday. D and D Beyond has like timestamps. It was at four o two p.m. on the thirteenth of January. I don't know if that's a local time or not. Um, yeah, but it would be four o two p.m. like uh, yeah. G- GMT and if it were one. It's filled with provable lies, uh, which I mean, it's it's not that long. It's shorter than the Paizo one. Yeah. I'm just gonna read it. Yeah, it, look, right? it's filled with provable lies, and uh, f- fuck them. I'm gonna do, like really lay into this thing in a minute. So yeah, you you read it out. An update on the open game license brackets OGL by D and D Beyond staff. Although, like, I just obviously yeah. acting as a mouthpiece for like you know Can... has what's he has bro. I'm not gonna begrudge them that yeah, one because yeah. I feel like the website probably does that automatically. Also, I just um, want to fucking point this out. This is this is on the this is on D and D Beyond, not on an official Watsy website or like the Watsy Twitter. This isn't like a statement, but like that they've posted this on D and D Beyond, yeah, yeah, yeah. like. Oh, Craven. I mean, to be honest, given that they own D&D Beyond, it may be that this is, like, the way they do this stuff now, but it also, like, that indicates that it has been so long since the D&D team have had to think about what is the way that we communicate large amounts of text to our audience, that they just, like, oh, no, we'll do it on D&D Beyond, because that has a blog, right? You know? It's... Come on. Anyway. Right, sorry. (laughs) When we initially conceived of revising the OGL, it was with three major goals in mind. First, we wanted the ability to prevent the use of D&D content from being included in hateful and discriminatory products. Second, we wanted to address those attempting to use D&D in Web3, blockchain games, and NFTs by making it clear that OGL content is limited to tabletop role-playing content like campaigns, modules, and supplements. And third, we wanted to ensure that the OGL is for the content creator, the home brewer, the aspiring designer, our players, and the community, not major corporations to use for their own commercial and promotional purpose. Driving these goals were two simple principles. One, our job is to be good stewards of the game, and two, the OGL exists for the benefit of the fans. Nothing about those principles has wavered for a second. That was why our early drafts of the new OGL included the provisions they did. That draft language was provided to content creators and publishers so their feedback could be considered before anything was finalized. In addition to language allowing us to address discriminatory and hateful conduct and clarifying what types of products the OGL covers, our drafts included royalty language designed to apply to large corporations attempting to use OGL content. It was never our intent to impact the vast majority of the community. However, it's clear from the reaction that we rolled a one. It has become clear that it is no longer possible to fully achieve all three goals while staying true to our principles. So here is what we are doing. The next OGL will contain the provisions that allow us to protect and cultivate the inclusive environment we are trying to build and specify, that it covers only content for TTRPGs. That means that other expressions, such as educational and charitable campaigns, live streams, cosplay, VTT uses, etc., will remain unaffected by any OGL update. Content already released under 1.0a will also remain unaffected. 
What it will not contain is any royalty structure. It will also will not include the license back provision that some people were afraid was a means for us to steal work. That thought never crossed our minds. Under any new OGL, you will own the content you create. We won't. Any language we put down will be crystal clear and unequivocal on that point. The license back language was intended to protect us and our partners from creators who incorrectly allege that we steal their work simply because of coincidental similarities. As we continue to invest in the game that we love and move forward with partnerships in film, television, and digital games, that risk is simply too great to ignore. The new OGL will contain provisions to address that risk, but we will do it without a license back and without suggesting we have rights to the content you create. Your ideas and imagination are what makes this game special, and that belongs to you. A couple of last thoughts. First, we won't be able to release the new OGL today because we need to make sure we get it right, but it is coming. Second, you're going to hear people say that they won, and we lost because making your voices heard forced us to change our plans. Those people will only be half right. They won, and so did we. Our plan was always to solicit the input of our community before any update to the OGL. The drafts you've seen were attempting to do just that. We want to always delight fans and create experiences together that everyone loves. We realise we did not do that this time, and we are sorry for that. Our goal was to get exactly the type of feedback on which provisions provided and which did not. I'm sorry. Our goal was to get exactly the type of feedback on which provisions worked and which did not which we ultimately got from you. Any change this major could only have been done well if we were willing to take that feedback, no matter how it was provided, so we are. Thank you for caring enough to let us know what works and what doesn't, what you need and what scares you. Without knowing that, we can't do our part to make the new OGL match our principles. Finally, we'd appreciate the chance to make this right. We love D&D's devoted players and the creators who take them on so many incredible adventures. We won't let you down. Okay. I have a th- I have a thing I want to talk but, about. Actually, I, on. I, 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 oh, I need to calm down first because even him okay. even reading it again made me angry. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't why don't you take us take take a second do some deep breathing and I'll I'll talk about a thing, um, pertaining actually to that last paragraph okay. or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So here's the thing. Every time there's a leak from a from like a major like company, particularly a, a major company that has some degree of power over its audience, um, you are going to see people promulgating the conspiracy theory that the leak was engineered by the company itself in order to achieve some sort of goal that would be difficult to do while working through official channels. Generally speaking. I don't put a huge amount of stock into theories like that, just because I think they tend to exaggerate the benefits of, like, bypassing those channels to leak something on purpose and minimize the, like, potential costs. But the general argument is always that it's a face-saving measure, right? You leak a version of what you're working on to test the waters to see, like, you know, whether how people will react to it. And if it's good, you release uh, either just that verbatim or something very close to it. And if it's bad, then you say, oh, well, you know, it wasn't finished, right? Yeah, we, we were just kicking some ideas around. Um, you know, uh, we're obviously we got like a lot of good feedback from that. But, you know, it was stolen property uh, and it was like really early in development. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's not what we're going to do. You know, I was just kidding. Mm. Yeah, And for all that I say 
I tend not to put much stock in that conspiracy in those kinds of conspiracy theories. They do downplay, you know, the the downsides for doing that to things like um, investor confidence, etc., and exaggerate the benefits of doing it when you can also just do stuff like focus grouping. But it's not impossible for that to happen, and there's not really any reason if you've been legitimately leaked not to say that anyway, right? Which is exactly what Watsi have done here. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure, guys, we believe you that that was, you know, <laughs> that was just a a, a first draft, and you're totally going to change I everything mean, uh, that people did not like. We we know it was we know it wasn't an intentional leak. I will get onto why that that's a blurred lie in a second, but you continue. Mm. So so here here's my thing, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're getting we're getting into into my theories a bit at okay. the moment because I I have a theory of my own about why they are doing this now, and I think it's for two reasons. It's because of Paizo and it's because of Salasta. We've talked a lot about Paizo. We've talked about Pathfinder. That's kind of water under the bridge, but there's also a possibility that given that the D and D brand has never been this big before, that either new management at Watsi itself or Hasbro above them were simply unaware that the previous time they tried to fuck with the OGL, they allowed their primary competitor to begin existing. Mm. It's kind of a big fuck-up on their it part. Really is. The thing that, that Watsi have always hated about the OGL, about all versions of the OGL, and that they're always trying to stamp out of the OGL, is the ability to use the system's reference document as a fundamental basis for an entire new game system that actively competes with D&D. Because, in fairness to them, with the 3.5 OGL, that happened a lot. Mm. There was like a whole family of games called the D20 system that was just 3.5 D&D, but tweaked to be about such and such. And I'm going to say like most indie to double A, like tabletop RPG companies uh, would be fucking thrilled about having that kind of effect. But as far as what's you were concerned, that's not people playing D&D. So that's either costly acquisitions we have to make or money that we leave on the table from people, you know, having an alternative experience with kind of the same game. Like, people who, theoretically, at least some of them, would be D&D players if they were forced to be, because they provably like playing a mechanically equivalent system. Especially Pathfinder, which was basically 3.5 D&D with the serial numbers filed off. It was 3.5 continuity. It's... It's the same genre. It's more or less the same game. Even when they say in Pathfinder 2nd Edition they're going with their own ideas, that doesn't mean they're changing the genre of what the game is like. It just means they're including a lot more of their own, like, Galarian content and, like, veering away from acme-ized versions of things that what he came up with, right? Mm-hmm. So I can kind of see the notion that if you're bringing in new people as indeed may have happened during the restructuring of Hasbro Watsi last year, that, you know, you get, like, the new manager, like, gets into his, his office, his their their office, and, like, you know... Nah, that, 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 nah, nah, nah. Let's be honest. His. His office. Let's be honest, you know. All right. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. C- com- comes, comes into his office, like, gets handed, like, you know, the cliff notes for the history of this subsidiary of the company, gets to about 2008, and says... Wait, you allowed what to exist? So 
the other thing I want to talk about is Salasta, and Salasta is... This is, like, I think most people would agree with my opinions about Paizo. Salasta, I think, is where I get a bit, a bit like, tinfoil hat here. Salasta, Crown of the Magister, is a specifically not D&D um, video game. If you've ever played, like, Neverwinter Nights or Baldur's Gate mm. or uh, Sword Coast Legends, maybe, it's it's that kind of thing. It's, it's a D&D video game. These tend to work, like well, because frankly, a lot of editions of D&D lend themselves to being a bit video gamey in the first place, so, you know. Yeah. Um, Celasta is... I, I play Celasta with my partners, mm-hmm. right? Um, Celasta is quite good. It's a bit, like, janky and cheesy, and some of the writing is a bit, like, funny. Mm. Um, but it's, like, generally a good product. The thing about Celasta is it's not like a sanctioned like a like a Watsy sanctioned product mm. at all. It basically like the developers, Tactical Adventures, to the best of my knowledge, had like one confrontation with Watsy where they made it very explicit what they were doing, which was using the um OGL SRD five point one uh as the rule set for Celasta mm. and making up their own content to fill in the gaps. And that there was nothing Watsy could do, and Watsy begrudgingly admitted that they were correct, right? Yeah. And since then, Celasta have come out with a lot of like updates and DLC that add the missing classes uh, in certain ways, and uh, add the missing subclasses also by just like creating new subclasses for the game. Some of them are really fun. Uh, I'm playing one of the sorcerer ones at the moment. I don't think Watsy feel threatened by Celasta specifically. Mm. It's a double A kind of budget game. Uh, it looks a bit weird. It's like a bit janky. The writing is like not really up to the kind of like level that I think um, some of the things sanctioned by Wizards, if not Wizards writing itself, are capable of. But I think Wizards feel threatened by Celasta in concept. They feel threatened yeah. by the notion that other companies, potentially ones with more budget than Tactical Adventures, are capable of doing this, which I kind of feel is one of the reasons why they're constantly harping on this idea that the OGL applies only to tabletop products. They 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 want to hammer out like a like a, a version like an interpretation of the OGL, like the fucking Supreme Court, that does not allow shit like this to fly. Mm. and puts other like tertiary products like VTTs under the purview of their specific say so. Mm. Meanwhile still allowing like everyone with just like, you know, a pen and a stat block to still continue making stuff that will like raise their like brand profile and maybe bring them money if you release it under like the DM skill or whatever. Mm. So that's that's my that's my theory is that this has happened because after the restructure, somebody has found out about Pathfinder and also about the confrontation with Tactical Adventures of Celasta. Mm. I don't have any evidence for the latter, and or, or even for the former, frankly, although it seems much more likely. Yeah. But that, given the language of what they've said and the specific like concepts that we know that they tend to beef with and what they might be worried about now, mm. I think we can reasonably say that those are probably the two things that are worrying them mm. at the moment, especially as they move forward to 
monetizing the D&D brand, I kind of feel like stuff like Celasta is exactly the kind of way... I mean, like, um, Larian Studios is, like, producing Baldur's Gate 3, for instance. Mm -hmm. And Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be kind of a departure from what Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were like, and it's going to be a lot more like Neverwinter Nights in a way that Celasta kind of already is. So those two products could end up directly competing. Yeah. And God forbid, and it's, it's, you know, down the line, Larian Studios decides, actually, we don't want to do D&D stuff anymore. We're going to we're gonna do what um, the developers of Solasta did. You know, God forbid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's always a possibility. But there's also the, the fact that if Watsi Hasbro or Larian fuck up Baldur's Gate somehow, like Baldur's Gate 3 somehow, then the, like, the direct, like, serial number filed alternative already exists. And, like, it's exactly the same as with Paizo, right? And even if you don't like Celasta, Paizo doing that with Pathfinder, I think, kind of reinvigorated a lot of um, the the whole, like, D20 idea and produced a lot more competitors for, for Wizards of the Coast. So, so can I talk about the Olivia Hill tweet? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and then, okay, then, then I'm going to rip into this statement that they've made. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 for sure. So Olivia Hill, at Machine IV uh, on Twitter, is a indie game designer, amongst other things. Um, she, she has, like, a litany of, uh, like, things in her profile. She's apparently an award-winning filmmaker, so I don't want to sell her short. But Ooh. she made a tweet that says, Fun fact, OGL is far from an open license, in fact, it affords you fewer rights than you have under fair use laws, but by agreeing to it, you sign all those other rights away. She also speaks about how she wouldn't touch the ORC with a 10-foot pole like, later in the, in the comments. Here's the thing, right? We're going to have to be very talking very general about this, because uh, the last I heard about where she lives, and admittedly it, it might not be like correct at this point, um, but the last I heard about where she lives, Olivia Hill was an American living in Japan, and uh, neither of us are either of those I things. Will, so. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Uh, Japanese fair use law is pretty restrictive. This is true. But However, like... the point being, right, <laughs> even if this is true, and it might well be, um, I think she's probably had more reason than us to, you know, engage with, uh, with, with lawyers who can actually, like, you know, give legal advice about this kind of thing. That's fine mm-hmm. for, like, Paizo and Chaosium and Cobbled Press and Onyx Path. It's not fine for, like, some guy named Brandon or your sister uploading, like, D&D, like, uh, subclasses on Itch.io or whatever. Because the thing about it is that if you have, if you probably have a right under fair use law and you can't point to legal advice you've been given suggesting that that's true yeah then basically pre-litigation communication becomes a game of chicken and you are simply not gonna win a game of chicken of that kind with a company as large as Mm -hmm. hasbro like you would have to take it to court right and i mean everyone would like paizo would as well chaosim would onyx path would but they given that they may well be correct might have a chance of winning even if you win, even if you're proven right as, you know, some guy named Brandon or your sister on Itchio, it costs fucking money to go to court. It costs a lot of it money does. to go yeah. to court. And like, I mean, 
It's it's like like the OGL was supposed to be avoiding that, right? And the ORC is mm. presumably going to be another mechanism by which people can avoid that. I don't know how effective it will mm. be because one of the benefits of the OGL was that it came from the company that was going to be doing the litigating in the first place. But mm. Paizo have survived long enough without, you know, major incidents, so possibly people will feel comfortable being like attached to it. But that's my point. Mm. I think Olivia might well be right about Creative Commons, but that doesn't doesn't really is. matter yeah. when she it comes to is. the kinds of people who were actually making the complaint, who are people who really cannot afford to pursue like uh, defending themselves in legal action or even prosecuting legal action against Wizards of the Coast, even if they're correct about what legal rights they actually have. The OGL was like a convenience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th so... this is the whole thing about, you know... It's the whole, we come back to fan fiction and we come back to content creators on YouTube uh -huh. as well, right? Like, yeah, their work may well be under Creative Commons and fair use, right? That shit doesn't matter to, you know, a big music company or a, a TV company wanting to, like, stop criticism of, you know, their product or just stop people using their product so freely, right? Like, they, like those companies, they, they don't care, right? But if you have an agreement, if you go, okay, well, we'll let you use 10 seconds of footage, like, per seven minutes or whatever, and you go, yeah, okay, sure, like, yeah, like, yeah, that is very restrictive, and it's probably not fair use, but... I mean, I... You know, I do agree do? with her, with her <laughs> later um, tweet, agreeing with an account called Golden Lasso RPGs, that... If they were being like truly properly honest, open gaming license companies would probably just release their work under Creative Commons, and it's like, yeah, okay, probably. That that's a that's a like mm. a cogent criticism of those companies, but I don't think it's appropriate to criticize sure. the people who want some sort of shield against being sued by a company that can afford to put mm. way more money into the entire proceeding than you possibly can. It's it's an anti-bullying shit, like, basically, by appeasing Yeah, yeah, it's, like, at the end of the day, right, like... Um, God, not to get, like, philosophical, but the illusion of ownership and um, intellectual property, it's all bullshit. None of that actually exists, yeah. right? Like, it, it, it's it's all made-up bullshit, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's there, so basically companies are allowed to make money off the stuff they theoretically create, but none of these companies actually created this stuff themselves, right? Like, the people who are currently in charge of Disney, for example, didn't create any of the fucking Marvel characters they own, right? And they sure as shit don't give money to those creators, right? Like, they didn't, they didn't fucking create all of the branding for the Hawkeye TV series. That was David A. Asia, right? Like, he, he did all that in the comic book that he wrote, like, he did the art for Marvel. They stole it from him. I didn't see any money from it. Right. But hey, that's that's their thing, that's their intellectual property. You know, not not David's apparently, even though he made it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it it's like it's it's all a fucking lie, right? Companies just steal from the people they employ and see seize the means of production is what I'm saying here essentially, right? Or like f f fic storytelling is collective it's it's owned by us all it is it is human to create and tell stories 
and pass them on and change them and mold them as time goes on. You know, that's that's the whole point of mythology and legends and folklore. It's it's in us to do this. Okay. So <laughs> that, that's it. That's right. all I'm saying. So, so uh, I really <laughs> want to get on to you ripping into this statement, but I actually think that there's also one other thing that we need to talk about because we've sort of been we've been pussyfooting around this the entire podcast. Like it's kept coming up in different mm. like people's statements. Um Yeah. Let's talk about authorization, because because that okay. is the angle that Watsi are taking here. Okay, I sure. have the text of not the original, um, not not the yeah not the original, uh, um, o, like fifth edition OGL, um, but uh, version one point zero A. Mm -hmm. I actually don't quite remember what the difference between 1.0 and 1.0a is, but 1.0a was considered the most recent acceptable version before all of this bullshit. Right? Number nine. Updating the license. Wizards or its designated agents may publish updated versions of this license. You may use any authorized version of this license to copy, modify, and distribute any open game content originally distributed under any version of this license. Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro Wizards of the Coast contention is that the word authorized in that section, which was also, to the best of my knowledge, present in version 1.0, means that they have the ability to deauthorize those versions of the license after the fact, and the license itself will no longer permit itself to be used. And that's fine because there will still always be an authorized version, right? I have absolutely... Like, I have very little insight as to whether this would hold up in court. Um, I think the fact that the license itself doesn't really specify what that fucking means might be a problem, because uh, it's, mm. like, authorized by who and to do what. Um, yeah, hang But on. that is the tack that Wizards of the Coast are taking. Right. So the the dictionary definition of authorized, because um, you know it's gonna get brought up in fucking court. Um, some some fucking nuts are gonna bring out the fucking right. Merriam-Webster. Yeah, uh, having official having official permission or approval. Deauthorize means to revoke permission, sanction, or consent. So I guess if they're using deauthorized, technically, but can you? Like this is a like this is a question of like can a can a company not a person can a company revoke consent and permissions on something they've already given you permission to do? Well, this is the thing. And many people right? have already done with the license, um, right? Legality is all about the details, right? At some point, both previous versions of this document were authorized, and that is like English is ambiguous about whether or not like authorized could mean that or mean that they must currently be authorized. So like <sighs> this is the tack that what at least in one in like the leak that Watsi were taking. I want to read actually the second mm. announcement by Foundry because that's where like that fits into all of this. Ah. Uh, so so does the Paizo announcement. Oh, so that's yeah. why they were talking about we don't believe that they can like deauthorize that. So um yeah, yeah. After the announcement on the 8th, uh, Atropos made another announcement on the 12th that a, a new um, a new uh, back-end developer was joining Foundry. But then, yesterday, at 9 o'clock, updated statement on the open gaming license. 
Hello at everyone. We are actively following and invested in the ongoing situation regarding the open gaming license. We have published an article that expands upon the preliminary statement we made last week. This post further clarifies our position on the issue. We will share further information once we learn the exact terms of the updated license, or if the situation otherwise changes in a meaningful way. Until then, we urge the community to continue engaging and advocating for an open D&D and an open TTRPG industry where ideas and innovation can flourish. Please engage respectfully with this issue using the following resources. And then, like, prints the, uh, the stuff from the previous one. Finally, be good towards the employees at Wizards of the Coast. We may have grievances with their corporate approach, but do not lose empathy for the many wonderful humans who work there, which more or less means, like, you know, we're deep enough in the tank here at Foundry that we actually have, like, friends there, so, like, try not to be a shit to Wizards employees. Mm. Which you, you shouldn't do, frankly. We have no idea how yeah, high this yeah, goes. Yeah, don't do that, yeah. Like... Yeah, but brief, briefly to touch on that, people were being really weird to Critical Role this mm. past week because they hadn't made an official statement, and I'm like, they don't have to. It's not their also, problem. Also, like, if they if they are they involved, have... they are probably one of the partners who is being spoken to, so they're going to be restricted on what they can say and probably haven't decided what they're going to do yet because it's going to depend on the information they're given. Yeah, like... They, they, I mean, they have made a statement now that's basically like, we stand with the community and you guys are the content creators. So basically, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're on your side. What We, we get fucked yeah. over by okay. this too. But I want to talk about the link that uh, that Atropos actually like posted, because that's where the, the main body yes. of this update is. And this this one is also okay. short, but I've been reading a lot of like short things uh, and together they make a long thing. So I'll okay. cut to the important bit. Um. This morning, this is in response to Watsi's weasel statement, which is why it came out last night. Um, you know, we all leave crit- critique of this statement to others in the community, but we want to emphasize a few important notes. Praises the community that has uh, leapt to the defense of creators who use the open gaping license 1.0a. Um, and uh, also like the galvanization of tabletop players in general. Um, mm. It is important. Yeah, it. It is important to celebrate the ground that has been recovered, but it is also essential to remain patient until we learn the actual terms of the often offered license. Um, mentions that the leaked version is like wholly unacceptable, and uh, says also there is no singular problem with that document that is easily corrected. Uh, Wizards of the Coast faces a challenge to provide license terms which communicate mutual respect with the creators who consider that license. Mm-hmm. Um, the three comments that Foundry make. Number one, we believe that OGL version 1.0a is a license which cannot be revoked or deauthorized. The creation of software and other digital products is unambiguously permitted under the OGL 1.0a. There is clear extrinsic evidence that Wizards of the Coast and the creators of OGL 1.0a had the same interpretation as we do. We are committed to supporting creators who publish works using the OGL 1.0a license. We will continue to support content for our platform created under OGL 1.0a as long as the creator of that content has not foregone the rights to publish that content by agreeing to an updated OGL. So uh, this was actually kind of a surprise to see because I definitely thought that, uh, to see their initial announcement, that um, Foundry were going to switch over a lot of their like flagship uh, like advertising freebie content to Pathfinder because it seemed like an obvious way to go. And then it turns out that's not the problem, actually, um, Foundry's existence is like forbidden by the terms of the leaked updated OGL, uh, you know, the leaked updated uh, OGL license. So, um, whoa, possibly not intentionally. Um, I actually doubt that 
Wizards mm. of the Coast really give a shit uh, about VTTs. They're probably just included for completeness. Um, I think it's more likely mm. that it's stuff like Celasta that they uh, they really want to crack down on. But it would affect Foundry because they don't have a direct relationship. Well, I mean, they obviously do because of the thing that you said at the end of the, the message, but not not the kind of direct partner relationship that somebody like Roll20 has with uh, D&D 5e. So it was kind of a surprise, but I kind of get it to see them taking the same stand that Paizo did, which is, uh, yeah, we straight up don't believe they can legally do this and we're prepared to fight it if necessary. Part, point two, we intend to continue offering and improving upon our D&D 5e game system under OGL 1.0a using SRD version 5.1. Whether or not that project will accept the terms of a revised OGL and expand compatibility to additional 5th edition or future 1D&D content will depend entirely on the legal terms of the license. If we choose not to accept the updated OGL, we may support third-party creations that use it as long as there is legal authorization for us to do so. And so, I mean, that says basically that they're going to continue making 5e content. It presumably will not be updated to use like 1D&D like, uh, you know, trends or, or SRD or stuff, depending on what the version of the like new OGL ends up looking like. But this is kind of looking like there's going to be like another schism, the same as there was like back in 2008, uh, because, uh, I mean, yeah. Cobalt Press are probably going to end up like doing that sort of thing as well. And number three, and this is important because this like kind of dovetails into what I wanted to talk about with regard to the authorization thing. This situation has irreparably damaged the trust that creators placed in Wizards of the Coast as the custodian of an open license used by countless companies and creators across an entire industry. Efforts are underway to author and establish an open, perpetual, and irrevocable open RPG creative license, ORC, and that entire like previous sentence is a hyperlink to Paizo's post, under the stewardship of a neutral and non-profit organization. We support this initiative, we'll be providing direct feedback to the team working on it, and we are excited that many of our partners have also committed to participate. We hope that creators throughout the industry use this opportunity to reconsider the licensing frameworks used for their content, regardless of whether that solution is the ORC or a bespoke license suitable for that work. Thank you for all your messages of support. Many of you have shared that the Foundry Virtual Tabletop software is more important to you than the game system that you play on it. That is hum incredibly humbling and gratifying for our team to hear. We're eager to put the situation behind us to the extent possible and return our full focus towards creating the best system agnostic virtual tabletop we can possibly make. So here's the thing about point three, right? Because I think that Atropos has actually like hit on something very important here. It's possible that a court will side with uh, Hasbro Watsi and say... Yeah, no, uh, they put that language in there the first time, knowing that they might have to do this at some point, and they no longer authorize those versions of the OGL, which means, could mean any number of things, I would imagine that even if that happens, the most likely thing would just be you can't make any more stuff with those because they were done in good faith at the time, but now it's like, uh, well. That makes basically any future release of the OGL by Watsi, like, fundamentally worthless because Atrobos and the, the Foundry team are right if if wizards go to court with Paizo or Cobbled Press or Foundry or whoever the fuck and it gets proven that they're correct and that they totally put in that secret backdoor and they're able to deauthorize the previous OGLs because they want to update them that makes any future OGL from them worthless because it proves that they can't be trusted 
with this kind of... Like, the whole point of the OGL is that you don't do this. That's why it has value as a license in the first place. Like, if, if, if people, like, don't trust in it, they'll just, they'll just do what Olivia Hill said. They'll just use Creative Commons instead, right? The whole point of the OGL was that it was a promise by Wizards of the Coast and by Hasbro that they weren't interested in exercising the power that they might have over you and that neither of you were going to find out until you took it to like costly legal action that probably would not get the the just outcome because one of you has so much more power and money than the other right so the notion that like any new version of the OGL will definitionally have that kind of provision built into it because why wouldn't you at this point like that notion is going to like poison the well of uh, of of like any new version of the OGL even if it was a, a a new version that they have like edited to you know look good and uh, and and make functional unless it explicitly denies that right so so i kind of feel like the thing about this is that this is one of the reasons why I think that the leak was genuine, because I think Watsi have kind of fucked themselves already by doing this, even if they completely walk back the the you know the OGL itself, because they have shown that they believe that they can deauthorize previous versions of the OGL. And until either one of two things happens. Either Watsi release a version of the OGL that is acceptable to the community and explicitly denies that it can be deauthorized, that it is a perpetual license, or this goes to court, probably because of Paizo or um, you know one of the other big like competitors, mm. and a court actually says, no, you can't do that. Until either of those things happen, yeah. Watsi have just sort of lost all of their trust, not only from the community, but probably from a lot of their like third-party partners, right? Like, the notion that like... Um, for instance, uh, Larian and Roll20 have presumably had to hammer out bespoke agreements now on how to use this material with them. That, I mean, they probably did before because they were working directly with wizards, but now they know they're not covered by, or at least the wizards believes that they're not covered by that, uh, by that license for any sort of like weird third order thing. That reduces trust. And it only gets worse the further down the, the tree you go when you get down to Brandon and your sister on Ichio, right? Nobody's going to ever believe this shit that people, that wizards put out again. Anyway, that's, that's, that's what I think they've hit on with point three. Um, that it has, it has irreparably damaged the trust that creators placed in Wizards of the Coast as the custodian of an open license. And I think that is, that is true. They're yeah. not getting that back. Yeah. Let me. Fucking yes, please this. do, bestie. This fucking this statement, this statement, right? Okay. So they got when we initially, so you've got like this first paragraph about you know when when we conceived of this, you know it was about you know making sure that no one made harmful content with our game and then the whole shit about NFTs as if they literally didn't do that with Magic the Gathering. Like, sorry. They, they, they literally <laughs> did. Like, that, the Web3 blockchain games and NFTs thing is like, no, you, you definitely want to do that yourself. 
I mean, I can kind of yeah. see that um, maybe they just mean we don't want people stealing our content and making money off it in this specific predatory way. I'm not, I'm not dying yeah. on a cross for third party D and D NFTs, yeah. but also that's incredibly yeah. like that. That's an incredibly Weasley thing to but say. I, yeah, but actually, also that wouldn't fucking cover the OGL wouldn't fucking cover NFTs anywhere because that's their intellectual <clears throat> property. Right, so that that is just a lie, right? And then they use, mar- but they start with by using marginalized people, marginalized communities as a fucking shield, right? That is not cool, actually. You can't say, oh well. W- one of the sacrifices that you do make when you make an OGL is that someone's gonna make. Here's how you do D and D, but everyone's mm. a Nazi, yeah. right? And like that's that's fine. Like, you know, and that's something we got to live with. But one, I've never seen that shit. No one fucking talks about that shit, right? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. What I am going to say is it's not fucking popular enough that people are going to post that around. And also, um, sorry, are we forgetting what they just did with the Hadozi with Spelljammer? Like, I... <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> uh, like... You can't just do that. You can't hide behind marginalised communities and claim that you're trying to protect us when you obviously fucking aren't. That's point number one that I want to get fucking angry with. I mean, here's the thing, Watsi, right? If somebody makes OGL D&D content included in hateful and discriminatory products, all right, there are a number of things that you can already do without updating the OGL. You can not mm. allow such products to be hosted on DMs Guild, which is very easy because that is a walled garden that you control. Yeah. You can publicly mm. disavow the product if you want on one of your various means of communicating to your uh, to your you know customer base. I would maybe not recommend the blog on D and D Beyond unless you're like all in on making that your new vector. But whatever, you do it somewhere if you're that worried about it. You can also just not engage with the person making that product and tell people who come to you complaining about it. You know, if you're worried about, like, fucking, like, um, some, somebody's mom from, like, Tennessee or whatever being like, oh, you know, are you, are you sanctioning this? You explain the concept of the OGL and say, people can use our rule set to do more or less whatever they like, except for the things included in this license, and the license is perpetual. So hmm. there's going to be some stuff like this. It is your responsibility to actually check they're not allowed to like impersonate an official D product but they are allowed to say they're compatible yeah and like that that was true with the old ogl you can just yeah. do that beth is right this is the kind of sacrifice that you make when you make a, a license like this and in fairness a lot of indie uh like tabletop creators and like you know uh code writers like programmers etc writing licenses have tried to like find ways to work around this issue specifically because yeah it's it's unpleasant to to know that you know your work is being used in that sort of thing but there is a point at which the level of separation that you have from anybody who uses your license like open licensed work uh in their own creations like i can i can kind of see from how much you want to monetize everything that an OGL user does, that you can't really conceive of a, of a way in which that separation could be a positive. But it is, because it means you don't have to fucking take responsibility for, like, somebody making D&D but everyone's a Nazi. 
<laughs> yeah, like this is the thing. As as a writer who maybe one day may publish a book, to an extent, I understand that while I don't wouldn't want Nazis or people who speak hateful things to be included in the community, you know, bigots are people too and they have varied interests, like us I all. Guess, um, yeah. I can't believe I've just said that. Like, yeah, I get you know, I guess. And it's like while I would disavow people like that in the community, while I'd say you're not welcome here, if like if somebody's gonna write like I don't know Nazi racist fan fiction about my universe and mm. my characters, I'm like, well, that is that is the sacrifices I made putting this out within public and being you know pro fan content. Yeah. That is. You know, and at the end of the day, it's always going to be a small minority also, of content. Like, it's to, to never... be clear, based on their other attitude in this document, right? That is all that 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 point could possibly be about is the like making D and D, but everyone's a Nazi or whatever, because yeah. they're pretty explicit that they believe that the OGL only applies to like tabletop RPG content, and if anything else mm. from the brand is being used in like like, discriminatory, like, hateful property. Like, if somebody's using, like, the art of one of the D&D artists that appeared in the book, like, you own the copyright to that shit. You can just attack them by that yeah. vector. You don't have to revise yeah, the OGL. Yeah, just do that. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so this fuck, can right? only be, if it's about anything at all, instead of just, as you say, making a smokescreen and using marginalised people as a shield, it can only be about supplements that, like, you know, are, uh, you know, D&D but everyone's a Nazi. Or, or whatever, right? Yeah, and it, it, it and it is just using marginalized people as a shield because I don't believe any of that content is being made because I think as soon as anyone caught wind of that commute of that shit being made, people would be like, "How dare you make this? Downvote, 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 banned from community." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I... Like, that there's not a big enough player base to be doing like thousands of dollar kickstarters for D D, but everyone's a Nazi. No one wants yeah, to play I mean, that. I, I've no one I've likes never seen people. like um, actual like skinhead D and D that everyone's a Nazi. I've definitely seen like you know like protofash shit occasionally on subreddits. Oh yeah, they're generally yeah. like downvoted oh, yeah. not only because they're hateful but also but even for the people who don't care about that, the quality is generally very bad. Yeah, because so yeah. so it's it's just not generally very popular. Yeah, and like nobody, and like I've never seen any of this shit. I'm I'm sure it exists, unfortunately, but I've never seen any of this shit. Probably because people have the good fucking sense to not boost it and splatter it all over everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, and, th- and third, we wanted to ensure the OGL is for the content creator, the homebrewer, and the inspiring designer, our players in the community, not major corporations to use for their own commercial and promotional use. That's taking um, aim at Paizo specifically, and possibly also at Tactical Adventures. Um Maybe at like yeah. you know Onyx Path and Chaosium, but yeah. like against people who they consider like. But like, are you, you know, are you sure about? That? I'm just like I, I'm like, are you sure about that? Like, I, is it though? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's obviously not right because it's like, it, like let's be honest. Aside from like Paizo and Cobalt Press and maybe Critical Role's Darryington Press, right? Aside from like you know the big players out there, it's like most of these people. They're indie content creators at the end of the day. Like that that they need they're starting Kickstarters and stuff like that. In fact, Cobalt Press does a lot of Kickstarters. I can't imagine Cobalt Press is making millions and millions, right? 
then we move. So the driving goals were these two to be good stewards of the game. What the fuck does that even mean? And for the OGL, what the fuck are you on about? Also, right? you failed by, by <laughs> any like you fa- yeah by any interpretation where that means anything yeah. at all. You did a bad job. <laughs> you did a bad job. Fuck you. The OGL exists for them for, to benefit the fans. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, but also, like, the OGL exists for the benefit of the fans, not for anyone who might actually build, like, a proper business that could compete with us. Only the people whose work we can, like, exploit and take advantage of, uh, that we, like, mm. you know, have that kind of power relationship with where we can rug pull the OGL from them if need be. Now, Fuck now off. I hear this is where they're going to. This is our early draft, and mm-hmm. I'm like. The thing about them talking about it being an early draft, and I'm not going to get into fucking, like, them every, every time they talk about this. If this was an early draft, why does the head of games at Kickstarter know about this? And why did he negotiate for a low royalty rate if this wasn't going to be the final draft? Well, I mean, there's 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 two two potential answers there, Beth. Either the monetization, royalty rate, etc. thing was something that was locked in very early and expected not to change throughout like various drafts of the document, which is bad. Mm-hmm. Or uh, mm-hmm. Watsi Hasbro are lying through their teeth, which is also bad. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So our drafts included royalty language designed to apply to large corporations attempting to use OGL content. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know if 750k is a large company, yeah. right? I think that's like, especially because it wasn't profit. If it was profit, okay, I, I get paying some royalties on that. Maybe like 5 10%. But it's not. It's just revenue. So essentially, you could say, Oh yeah, well we printed, you know, these this this like campaign supplement we did. Um but we didn't make any profit on it, but it did cost like seven hundred and fifty to produce. And what's he like, mm, actually you're in a deficit now, you didn't actually make any of your money back. Right? Cause like I imagine getting like cause in order to be competitive and I'm not saying you need like full colour original artwork. I'm not saying you need beautiful hardback books in order for your product to have value. But I think if you want it to sell, it needs to be comparable to at least what Watsy are putting out, mm. right? And one thing I will say about Watsy's books, they do look nice. Even if some of what is in them is utter fucking garbage. Yeah, but the home brewery exists now, so you can just like replicate like uh D's like formatting officially, which is mm. Also, like, I'm going to be real, this, like, the the stuff about, like, royalties, that feels laser-targeted at Tactical Adventures in Solasta. Like, it's so they're dope, so fucking it? mad. And Cobalt yeah, Press well, as Cobalt well. Press as well, but, like, I kind of feel like they are so fucking frightened about Solasta. And, again, to be clear, yeah. I don't think that Tactical Adventures have actually made that much money off Solasta. They did a Kickstarter campaign mm. for like originally creating the game. The game is still like very janky, and it has like a dedicated but ultimately like minimal and esoteric fan base. But it's what Celesta represents that wizards do not like because they can't find a way mm. to get like tactical adventures to pay rent. And if tactical adventures can do it, 
then somebody else with better production values can as well. Well, that's I, I think they're threatened by Critical Role as well. Uh, yeah, but Critical Role is in kind of a weird place because they're sort of not... They like, are. I mean, you know, the, obviously they did um, uh, Teldore and the Wild mm-hmm. Mount things, but then they actually reprinted them under Darrington Press with like a lot of the like specific D&D stuff removed mm. from it with their own thing. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, where they where they bland named them. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they remixed it, essentially. They updated it. And again, they've got oh this fucking, fucking cartoon coming out. They've got this, D, like, this basically D&D cartoon coming out. You know they're fucking, like, losing their shit they're right now. Shit. Not to mention they've got statues of these characters. They've got collectibles. Like, they are, they are looking upon Critical Role with envious Critical eyes. Role... They're looking Here's at the that thing, right? like... I, I actually thought this was still the case. Critical Role used to have a partnership agreement with Wizards of the Coast. This might well they... be a fucking divorce fallout on Watsi's part. It, it, oh, it really yeah. will be. This is why people are talking about this. Matt Mercer's been pissed about this as well. Like, this is why I'm saying this is, like, yeah. interesting. Like you, like you know, you're not a CR fan, so like I, like I get. Yeah, it, no, I, like, I had missed that completely. If I go on to, um, yeah, if I go on to Darrington Press right now, um, keep in mind they've also done like tabletop, like they've done like board games mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, you know, yeah, Taldora campaign setting reborn, the definitive fifth E source book of Critical Role's Continent of Taldora. So that they're, they're redoing it, and they're going to redo Wildmount as well. Like that is that is huge news, and they announced that I think late-ish last year. Like that is a really big deal. They're taking what was like a, an official like thing published through Wizards of the Coast, and they're going, eh, "We're going to do our own version with updated stuff." And this is because very slowly, for very good reasons, Matt Mercer's been moving away from like any forgotten realms mm. elements in his story whatsoever right well he pres- um which i completely he, i get like yeah, I yeah. He, he presumably thinks the same thing that cobbled press does which is maybe it's not super great to have all our eggs in this one basket yeah. which is the metaphor that i was forgetting it- about earlier it's not fingers and pies it's eggs and baskets <laughs> but like in both cases, you know, maybe Matt Mercer is one voice actor with, you know, I guess a group of friends uh, working with him. Cobble Press is an entire publishing company. But in both cases, at both scales, I kind of feel like it's it's not a bad idea to diversify you, your portfolio. <laughs> you are you are underestimating the size. Yeah, of I know Critical Role, Role is in huge, fact, but it has like a it, it's it's a different kind of company for a start, and it has like a different it, yeah like, yeah yeah. It's not. It's publishing, but it's not publishing on the scale that Cobalt Press is. So it's different use cases. True, true, yes. true, true. Like, but also, true, like true, they, true. a lot of more of what they do is the live streams and stuff, which is explicitly like called out in this uh, in this update. Mm. I'm just so sorry. I, I say different scales because, like, Cobalt Press changing their entire mm. like like changing the the balance of like their entire like portfolio and what they actually sell is mm. different from Matt Mercer mm. gradually removing all of the brand identity content from Critical Role totally. even though like totally. they are of similar popularities yeah 
Yeah. But like th- this th- and this essentially is because Critical Role is becoming like a multimedia <laughs> property, right? Like presume that like they've got the comics and they're probably going to have novels out set in that universe. They have other DMs coming in to do like mini campaigns in that setting now. They're going to have like again, they've got the cartoon and I presume when they are done with Vox Machina, they're going to do season 2 and they're going to do the Mighty 9 and then I presume after that like, you know, if they're a big success and Amazon Prime keeps them around and keeps renewing the show, obviously. But, like, I don't even think that would stop them. Like, couldn't they just find a new home for it? Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Um, this is going to be, like, this is going to be, like, know, kind of a bitchy thing to say. But I'm not particularly surprised that this frightens Watsy. Watsy specifically. Yeah. Because the, I don't I don't believe that in their current position the notion of a theoretically subsidiary venture uh, that suckled at your teeth mm. for a while but is now more successful than you can really use to like keep them in line to the point where they're kind of mm. driving you know most of the uh, attention to your brand is something that Wizards of the Coast is uh, unfamiliar with at this point. You know, it's I mean, it's the, uh, it's it's fucking like yeah. ascended teat suckers all the way down. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, as well. I think it was like back when they were on um, Geek and Sundry, yeah. when they left when they left and they went independent to go on YouTube like full time. They created their own channel, and that's what the live streams were going to be on. That basically killed Geek and Sundry's like streaming service. Mm that people paid for like people just stopped subscribing to it and left because they're like oh well we can just get critical role when it comes out now we can just subscribe to their twitch yeah. channel um even sundry has and other it was popular like, shows but uh, nowhere near on the scale as critical oh role. yeah like yeah oh yeah absolutely nowhere near you know like do not do not fuck up the like do like critical role i think its popularity has waned slightly but like only mm. slightly and that is only because of like the fact that campaign two ended and people you know kind of went oh, and that's just a post campaign drop that doesn't out. necessarily mean that like they're not going to make that audience back yeah. maybe the same people maybe oh, an yeah, equivalent absolutely. number of people yeah i mean i i yeah. can't sit here and sit like i've i've not finished campaign two and i've watched any of campaign one but like i'm 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 gonna resubscribe to amazon prime just to watch like fox machina like season two right like i i i I am that much of a simp of it like don't don't knock fucking like that they're they're power they're a powerhouse they really are and they're multimedia who's to say in a few years they're not gonna make like original programming and original movies i like i know the bubble might burst but like i can i don't think matt smith is gonna make his own system but i think he could if he wanted to matt smith Smith making his own system i mean matt smith if you're out there and you have any interest in tabletop (laughs) role-playing a real fucking like steel chair out of nowhere here Uh, yeah i'd I'd love it i yeah like like matt if 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 you're listening uh come on the podcast let's talk we'd roll yeah we'd roll up an episode for you if you're interested like uh yeah 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 come come on man um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah matt, I, I, matt mercer could make his own st- like i mean to be honest with you anyone who makes homebrew content mm. if you really wanted to and you put your mind to it you could delve into the insanity that alexa has 
and make your own tabletop we, role-playing game. I don't recommend it, because I've seen what it's done to her, but like, we, you We are going to talk about like, Trap Dogs later at the end of the show. We, we don't need to talk about it right now. <laughs> All right. That's yeah. a tease. Yeah, I know. I just, yeah. Right. Where was I even fucking up to on this? Who, who fucking cares? Anyway. Oh, and then they make their shitty, like, however, it's clear from the reaction that we rolled a one. Fuck off. Shut, sh- ac- fuck off. Actually shut the fuck not- up. Like... Oh my god. Actually shut the fuck up. Like I like I fucking hate you, right? I fuck off. Stop mm. it. Mm. Also, this might be like I, I right. think they just put that in uh to be cute because they're fucking insufferable. But it also has like this weird implication that oh, we did like a perfectly fine thing, but we did it in such an inexpert way and with so much like bad luck that it turned out really bad for us. And it's like, no, you did a really shitty thing actually yeah, that you need to yeah. take responsibility this, this, for. This isn't like in your campaign where like you, you, you fumble the bag and you lose the treasure as a rogue and you're like, oh no, this isn't the rogue fucking up a trap and like they, they get fucking shot with an arrow, right? Like that, 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 that shit just goes wrong. They were that rogue was trying to do the right thing, right? This is this is a rogue murdering a child in cold blood, and the paladin going, "What the fuck have you fucking done?" And the paladin be like, "I I I have to take you into the police. You've killed an innocent child in cold blood." But and the rogue going, "Oh no, it's just I was just being." goofy i wasn't doing anything bad and it's like no no actually and everyone on the table is just looking at the rogue player like you're a fucking asshole you, you killed the child npc in cold blood that's bad that's bad and that player's like oh yeah, yeah i'm feeling very attacked right now and everyone's like good yes t- <laughs> take accountability you know fuck off right it's just, yeah, and it's like the next OGL will allow provisions to allow us to cultivate the inclusive environment. What does that mean, Watsy? I mean... How many black people work for you, Wizards of the Coast? For, for, for balance, um, <laughs> I generally think, generally speaking, my um, like view on the Paizo-Watsy split is that Paizo are the much better company with the much worse product. Um, but that only applies to Paizo's customer facing treatment of the material um they have also been very shitty about mm. treatment of their uh, employees which is not like relevant to this necessarily but i That's think true, yeah. i'm sure that given that we have praised paizo earlier in the podcast if we mention that like watsi have really not been fucking great with regard to like minorities who work for them that somebody would bring that up about paizo like specifically their like union busting yeah, activity true, true. Uh, yeah no i'm aware of that fuck them but yeah. you know yeah. It's it's apples to apples um, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I just or like the so now that then they specify that hey, it was only meant for tabletop RPGs. Uh yeah, you know, no. We we get no we we got it the first time we get what you're trying to do we know that you're yeah, afraid yeah. of Matt Mercer's multimedia empire and what Salasta might imply, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> We... Yeah, like that. They like. I like how they set act, and I'm like, no, you need to, you need to spec. You can't just set etc. Because, because you've included educational and charitable campaigns, live streams, cosplay. Firstly, I didn't think cosplay was on the fucking table as an yeah, option like, what here. The fuck? What the fuck? Like... What the fuck? Why just men 
mention that. Like, how does what? one how does one dress as like their D and D character or a D and D character who is not already like a copyrighted piece of like intellectual property by you, Wizards of the Coast? In a way that you could pursue them under the OTL. Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. What are you talking about? What are you fucking on about? What are you, what are you on about? And then VTTU says, which, like, okay, it's good good that you specified that, okay? And then they go, etc. No, I think you actually... I don't think this is a such-as situation. I think maybe you need a list, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, on the one hand, it's like, well, they could have an actual list or like, you know, specific criteria that allow us to establish the list ourselves in the document itself. But they openly say they're not going to release the document for some time. And in the meantime, everybody who's not on that list, but might theoretically be affected, is just going to be shitting themselves. So no, I think given the scale of your fuck up, you do actually have to be specific here. And then they clarify content already released under 1.8 will also remain sure, infected. Sure, whatever, fine. But that isn't what they—that isn't what they implied no. earlier. Also, like if this is an official statement, can this be used for them to like double back on, like, deauthorizing the deauthorization? Mm. I don't know. I also, don't, also I don't it's know. like content know. already released under 1.0a will also remain unaffected. Cool. That means that they're not going to come after you for like anything that you posted before the day of the leak, right? But it doesn't mean necessarily that if you want to release an update to something you've previously released uh, to like, you know, fix it, if there's something wrong with it, mm. do you have to change licenses then? You know? Mm. What, what if you wanted to release like material that was... Uh, you know that you, the you, or somebody else had released before that was compatible with one point zero a, um, and that the two licenses were significantly enough like incompatible in terms of what you wanted to do with them, that that couldn't happen because you couldn't release your update, your your, you know, expansion, your plugin, whatever, under one point zero a. Can you do that? Like, what the fuck does this mean, wizards? So. And it goes, what it will not contain is any royalty structure. Okay, we're getting rid of the royalty structure entirely. That's in the, like, I guess, like, in the big picture, that's probably good, but it's also like, okay, cowards. That's, yeah, that's literally like, no one, that's literally like them seeing the no one left yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, because um, you would. Like, pop up and reloading yeah. the game. They're like, oh, no, fuck. Because <laughs> you, you were, Nobody you were just that. talking, weren't you, about how, like, it's very obvious that the royalty structure thing had to have been in, like, what was intended to be a version of this document that either would be released itself or would inform a final draft Mm. that would be released. So, like, cutting the royalty structure, there's no version of this document that they could have rolled back to that did not have the royalty structure and was still, like, recognisable as what we saw. So that is definitely a coward move where they're just like, oh, shit, we can't. Oh, shit, yeah, let's not do that. That thought um, never crossed our minds. I mean, if oh, if if we can hold, you know what? If we can hold them to this statement, uh, yeah, all, exactly. Right. right. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a point at the end of this. It's it's important um, to remember, and this this might know, be the point that you were gonna make at the end. This this update mm. is not a license document. It is not any kind of mm. contract or contract like document. It is not a legal mm. declaration of any type. Like you have only. Mm the already very damaged trust in Wizards of the Coast that they mean what they say mm. 
And that's it. They can change their mind on this shit and still have meant it in the moment. Absolutely. Like, it's mm. it's nothing. And then, you know, the last couple of paragraphs, they're like, hey, uh, this was always the plan. We just wanted feedback. And it's like, yeah, fuck no, off. off. No, you didn't. You didn't want anyone to know about this until exactly. it dropped. Right? You, you wanted, you wanted to take Paizo and Matt Mercer and Tactical Adventures by surprise. So definitionally, yeah. because they tend to have more insider access than the rest of us peons, that also meant that you had to keep the community in the dark. Yeah. Fuck off. And yeah, like, yeah, it's <laughs> basically like, I, I agree with everything you said there about those last two paragraphs. I'm like, yeah, pretty much like they, this got leaked and you are yeah. pissed, right? You are pissed. I, uh, I hope to God the person who leaked it is okay mm. and they haven't found out who it is. I hope they never uh, will. If you are... I hope they never will. I hope that person always but works barring there. that, uh, I <laughs> hope that if they do find out, uh, it is also leaked who it was because then I hope that, like, Paizo or Chaosium or Onyx Path give them a job. Actually, I kind of hope Onyx Path mm. don't give them a job, come to think of it, knowing what we know about White Wolf and Onyx Path, but... Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. they have transferable yeah. skills, and they'll be looking for a job. You know, absolutely. Um, we, we, I we, just, we'll have to see yeah. What I will say at the end of this is, um, don't even if you're re- like you're hearing the statement, you're reading the statement, and it's assailing some of your concerns. Assuaging. Do not let yeah, it do assuaging. that. As- assailing, assuaging. I mean, assailing your concerns is, I think, more more what it's doing, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sailing away. No, it, um, it, it means it means you know, attacking. But if, if if you're if you're reading this right, if you're if you're reading this and it's you know maybe it's calming you down, maybe you're getting a bit more of a reason. But no, don't don't get get mad, get mad again. Actually, get angry reading this. Um, because you can't fucking trust them. No, you can't. This, this is the big takeaway. Remember point three of what Foundry said. Even if they walk all of this back right now, you know what they tried to do. You know what they believed yeah. they could swing. You can't mm. trust them. You can't trust them. They... Do not let them forget about this anytime okay. soon. Do not let them, like, do not let them make you forget actually come to think of it there is one there is one way that they can regain our trust i've just thought and it's what i described before they release a new version of the ogl that is acceptable to the community and contains language that explicitly and clearly states that as a document that version of the ogl cannot be rescinded by wizards of the coast right that is that is their only option right now. It is the nuclear button, but it's. I think it's what they got to fucking yeah. do if they ever want to walk I this back. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I do want to. Um, you know, you skipped over a bit of, of of this update that I actually do want to talk about a bit, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yes, so fine. after they say it won't contain the royalty structure, it also will not include the license back provision that some people were afraid was a means for us to steal work. The thought that thought never crossed our mind. Okay. Here's, here's the thing. Yeah. No one here's I the thing, think... right? Um, don't fucking say that. That thought never crossed our minds because it's such a smug-ass thing to say, even if you mean it. Like, just don't mm-hmm. write a document like yeah. this. But I do want to talk about this because mm. 
This is like the one point that I do actually have a bit of sympathy with them for. If uh, if we take if we take what's the on, on face value that the the most pure-hearted version of what it is that they were trying to do with this is the correct version, right? Those of you who like follow like writers and uh, like filmmakers and stuff on Twitter will actually um, Mark Rosewater. The uh, the lead designer of Magic: The Gathering is an in Watsi uh, example that we can use for this. They are uh-huh. vociferous about not being shown fan works. Uh, if you've seen Neil Gaiman's Tumblr, he's talked yeah. about it a good number of times. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Gail Simone talks about it. Gail Simone and um, Sheenan Maguire, I think, or maybe Sean Maguire. Sorry, Sheenan Sean. I, I think it's probably Sean, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, I, cool, cool yeah. account. Yeah, go go check her out. She talks about it a lot. Mark Rosewater has talked about it specifically mm-hmm. re- with regard to custom magic cards. He does not want ever to be shown a custom magic card. When these creators do this, mm-hmm. it is not because they hate you, it's or that they hate your work, or that you are making like custom fan work. It is because they are put in a legally dicey position if you can prove mm-hmm. that they were shown your fan work and they later in their ongoing work produce something that is of some kind of like similarity to it. So I sympathize with Watsi that that is a problem that they have to find some way of addressing. And a number of the people who were like worried about this were even like mentioning that they were like, well, I get what this is generally used for. I just think it's too broad or like too ambiguous. Right. Mm. But like, like that's a hard one because there's actually, I don't think that many ways of writing a clause like that without doing something mm. kind of dodgy legally. But the thing about the OGL is that as a license, Maybe. you can commit to not doing stuff like this. You can carve out the specific behaviours that fans might be worried about and say in the license document itself that that is not what you will do, right? In fact, because yeah. of the Olivia Hill tweet like we were talking about, about people using Creative Commons, that's basically what the OGL is to begin with, right? It's not mm. really anything more yeah, powerful yeah. than that. So... I think you need to do that, and I think also you need the rest of the license to be squeaky clean so that that's people's only beef, right? Because this is, like, the one point that I've seen people, like, willing to equivocate about. They've been like, well, yeah, no, I've seen that kind of language in other licenses, in other, like, contracts, etc. It's unfortunate that it kind of has to be that broad in order to, like, cover all its bases. You just need some degree... You just need some degree of trust in the company that they won't try and take ownership of your material. Mm. It would be really bad if uh, Wizards of the Coast suddenly had a huge deficit of that particular kind of trust. Yeah. Good thing that's not happening right now. <laughs> it it really is just boiling down yeah. to that, right? And I don't know if there's much more that I really want to say about this particular topic. What I will say is, I think it's okay if you're like still like, ah, I still want to play D and D. Like, I think that that's okay. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, a Hasbro executive is gonna bust down yeah. your house for playing like your homebrew D and D game, right? Also, it's pain in the ass to change systems mid game. Don't do it. This is true. But you know, however, maybe in the future, yeah, maybe, maybe in, in the future. future. 
Speaking of, speaking of that transition, part three, mm-hmm. we've already gone on quite long. I think, like, with noise reduction, we'll probably, like, cut down a little bit, but uh, this is probably still going to be quite a long yeah. episode. But I do want to do part three, which I, I, I had planned and mm-hmm. I had told you about, which is, okay, so you're at a juncture point in your, like, you know, between campaigns with your playgroup or whatever, or you want to, like, get into tabletop RPGs, but you, like, what for whatever reason... D&D and Wizards of the Coast leave a bad taste in your mouth. Okay. So what do you play instead? Now, I will say, I'm coming up to a point where I'm creating a new setting. And I've actually been thinking of using Pathfinder anyway. Maybe that's controversial. I know you don't like Pathfinder very much. Well, I don't like Pathfinder, but I'm also... I'm conscious that, like, I, I feel like we, we would be doing a disservice to anybody who watch, who, like, listens to this this podcast if we just recommend yeah it yeah it's like honestly enjoy. from what i played of pathfinder i did enjoy it um it was just in a very specific setting mm. and I'm, i enjoyed that and i just didn't want to get involved with the magic system personally uh, i mean i at that point i never the brain space here's the thing it. right let's talk about pathfinder right because i kind of feel like pathfinder is a good place to start when we're recommending stuff like this because basically mm. If you want D&D with the serial numbers filed off, you play Pathfinder because that's why Pathfinder exists. Specifically, um, Mm -hmm. Pathfinder First Edition is 3.5, like, the the fan continuation. So if you're familiar with Mm 3.5, you will probably get on very well with Pathfinder. If you're familiar with First Edition, Pathfinder might seem a bit crunchy for you. When we played in the game that Beth is alluding Mm -hmm. to... I played a barbarian because Pathfinder First Edition has three separate types of armor class, a fault that 3.5, I believe, also shared. And the barbarian has abilities that allow you to ignore two of them. So I was like, oh, there's a whole load of unnecessary crunch in this game from my perspective. I'm going to play the class that lets me like just mm. blaze on through it. But, but whatever. Yeah, but even from that perspective, because it's D&D with the serial number filed off, much like D and D, where you can just pick and choose and ignore the bits you don't like, you can just do do that with Pathfinder. That Pies aren't going to come to your door and be like, "I want you to use the three separate armor mm-hmm. classes," and you're like, "I'm not going to do that though." They're not they're not going to do that. They don't give a fuck. Well, not only do they not, 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 not give a fuck in the same way that Watsy don't, but they've. I mean, we read their statement. They're they're much more committed to you doing whatever the hell you like. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never played Starfinder or Pathfinder 2e. Um, my my boyfriend mm-hmm. swears by Pathfinder 2e, um, and if you're into that kind of crunch game, I would I would take his word as like pretty reliable. So have a go with it. It's apparently like sort of like feat focused, so it's a little bit more like you know like kind of uh, game rule block uh, centered. But you know, it's. Mm-hmm. That is definitely where to go if you just want to play D and D without actually playing D and D, right? You you play Absolutely. you play Pathfinder. There's the good old reliable GURPS, which has I've never so much. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, like I yeah. I would never, but if you wanna, I GURPS is a tried and tested, you know, reliable. Yeah. There's cortex. There's fair. I mean, we're gonna. Like, like, I had a I had a structure these... for how we were gonna talk about these, Beth. And you're going like rolling off like a, a number. Oh, of, I'm so sorry. I'm now. so sorry. But you know, the, there's the old yeah, reliables yeah. out there. You know, like well, I mean, let's get into that, know, right? Okay. So here's the thing. I, from my perspective, because Beth is one of these people who, uh, you know, 
kind of needs to be in a certain mood, I think, to uh, really engage. <laughs> All right. That kind of needs to be in a certain mood that she is not often in, but which I have seen her be in. Do not lie and be like, you're so stuck in your ways, you won't learn a new system. Um but, but, you know, like, learning new systems is hard, especially if they're dramatically different from, like, the kind of system that you, that yeah, you, uh, you're familiar with. Like, yeah. uh, by, by way of comparison, right, I play a lot of Magic the Gathering, which is also a Watsy property. My girlfriend showed me, uh, Flesh and Blood recently. Flesh and Blood is really fucking fun. Um, but a, a lot of the reason why it was very fun was it was very easy for me to pick up because it uses a lot of the same kind of, like, rules cadence that Magic the Gathering uses. It's a different game, kind of, uh, with, like, a different kind of focus as to what it's actually simulating. But a lot of the, like, the way of the language on the cards, for instance, flows very naturally for somebody who's used to the sort of, like, very specific legalistic language that... Uh, that Magic the Gathering uses in a way that I think would like be completely useless to me as a skill for learning to play like Yu-Gi-Oh, right? So mm, there's a degree yeah. to which if a system is very different from what you've learned before, it can be difficult to learn it. And learning systems for fun is not everybody's cup of tea. Some people just want to have like, they just, I, I just want to play tabletop, man. And like D&D was the easiest to learn like one time. Yeah. Okay, sure, whatever. We have a couple of options yeah. for you. I I would say, based on what I enjoy and what, to the best of my knowledge, Beth has also enjoyed in the past, uh, I would say maybe you want to look into Powered by the Apocalypse. Oh, I love that system so much. Um... Well, here's the thing. PBTA is not a system. It It is a relationship between a group of systems. In 2010, Vincent yeah. and Megui Baker released Apocalypse World. I've never played Apocalypse World. Uh, by all accounts, it's fine, but it's kind of been overtaken by things that have, like, you know, used the medium since. There's a whole load of games that take Apocalypse World's, like, principles, let's say, and, like, basic design structure, and apply them to, like, a completely different thing. And generally speaking, the qualities that they have in common are they all use 2d6 to, you know... Uh, mm -hmm. to, to as, as the only dice that you need. They are fiction-first games, which means that you're mostly doing freeform roleplay until something happens in the fiction that triggers one of the mm. game rule-like segments that is like... They're called moves mm. a lot of the time uh, in PPTA games. Yeah. And then you follow what the rules say, maybe you roll some dice, depending on what kind of move it is, and then you're back into the, like, the free flow of, of the fiction. And... That is kind of different from the way that uh, stuff like D&D works, where generally speaking, if you want to permit something to happen in D&D, you have to either write some rules for it or come up with a GM fiat for it. Whereas it's kind of the other way around in PBTA games and other fiction first uh, systems where mm. you can do anything unless the rules forbid you from doing it or the context of the fiction that you're playing in forbids you from doing it. Like, for instance, if you're playing like real people, in the in the real world, then you don't have magic powers unless the rules explicitly say that you do. But you can do anything a human being can do that makes sense, yeah. uh, unless the yeah. rules I say mean, that you can't. I, I think definitely there's like we could definitely talk about my very much fiction first approach to playing Dungeons and Dragons yeah. in generally in a campaign setting. Like absolutely, that's like a valid mm -hmm. way to play D and D. 
And I think definitely if you value fiction first, like any apocalypse world yeah, system, yeah. so apocalypse yeah, world yeah, vibe yeah. is, you know, and some of them are more fiction first than others. Like, you know, the sick fucks every week. And I mean that affectionately, the sick fucks every week who get together and will play like a monster hearts yeah. game. It's like, you know, love that for you guys. Uh, but that's a very fiction first. That's extremely fiction yeah, yeah. first. That's like, I, I would, I, I think I've watched Monster Hearts games and there's like two roles in the entire yeah. game. For sure. You there's a degree to which you do have to be engaged. But but let's talk about PBTA because PBTA games, now this is important. A lot of people coming from D D don't understand this. PBTA games are very, very genre focused. So if you want to play mm. a game that you learn in a different genre, it is better to transition to a different PBTA game. Yes, it will have different rules, but they will generally follow the like format that you are already familiar with. Because yeah. the benefit of doing that is that you're able to have things that are much more specific to the genre you're simulating happening. So, uh, for example, I would say that a PBTA game that a lot of people are familiar with because of Season 2 of The Adventure Zone is Monster of the Week. Now, in fairness, mm. uh, although it's my favourite Taz campaign, Amnesty was not actually people playing Monster of the Week very well. Uh, Monster of the Week has some particular ideas nah. about like how that... <laughs> it came off fine. I think a lot of the time with Taz, the thing is, they use the system... Uh, as like a means of running the show rather than comporting like yeah. the because like the show's the thing and in fairness that's what makes them the money right so I get it um, yeah anyway the so so um, monster of the week is designed very very specifically to simulate uh, like a a monster like monster hunting monster of the week show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Supernatural or Gravity Falls, or possibly something like Primeval or Torchwood, mm. right? Um, if you if you just want to run like a like a sort of generic like urban fantasy type game, you're going to run into problems where like the central structure of uh, of Monster of the Week just doesn't support that. But that doesn't mean that you can't like pick up and go over to Monster Hearts, right? Where you play like sort of mm. yeah. supernatural like teen intrigue type stuff. And have yeah. a lot of what you learned in Monster of the Week just come over wholesale because most of the rules are not actually that different. Um, yeah, yeah. If you are interested in... Okay, this one's going to come with a caveat. If you are interested in playing uh, a PBTA game but you want to start with like a sort of D&D similar thing because that's what you know, you can play Dungeon World. Um Dungeon World is highly acclaimed. It has a lot of, like, introduction to PBTA, like, security material. So it's kind of a good place to start with that. And in fact, I've seen a lot of people on the Monster of the Week subreddit direct people who are confused about, like, PBTA in general and fiction-first role-playing to materials that were originally created for Dungeon World. However, mm -hmm. if you are swearing off D&D because of Wizards of the Coast and their bad behavior, it is probably, like pertinent to uh, tell you that Dungeon World was created in part, if not in whole, by Adam Coble, a uh, extremely cancelled man, let's put it this way. I, listen, um, listen, I, I, Adam Coble did a thing that if he was playing normally around a table, 
uh, would probably lose him a friend, right? Yes, but he um, did it. But that would probably yeah. be it. And he would take it as a teachable moment. However, he did it in front of like thousands of people on a live stream. He did it in front of thousands of people on a live stream. And he also did it in a way that violated the principles that he had made a career off teaching to other people. Yes, exactly. Um, essentially, he... I'll just say what it was, because, mm. you know, he basically he violated, like, the consent of another player, essentially. Yeah. He he did that thing, you're not supposed to... When you do your session zero, and you do all your triggers and stuff like that, he, he barreled right ahead pretty knowingly quite honestly mm. and didn't really give that person any time to like out or anything mm. like that in a very public way um yeah which is like he didn't he didn't you do know and, anything like physical or like properly visceral to any real people but what he did do was violate the trust of one of his pl players in front of an audience in exactly the way that he had spent quite a lot of his like career up until that point telling people not to do like he was a a champion advocate yeah. of like rpg safety tools and stuff like that so mm. if the thing that you don't like about uh wizards like um you know ac antics with the ogl is that they have destroyed any kind of trust that can be had in them maybe you want to give mm. dungeon world a miss you know yeah you know, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I I find it hard to judge him for that, even though he did it in front of, like, thousands yeah. of people. I find it hard to judge him for that because, like, I've, I've fucked up as a DM. I've, I've flouted safety tools before. You... I've always said sorry, and I've learned it as a teachable moment. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I, I would say, I would say, I've, actually... I've fucked up, um, you know? I, I only read her account of it after the event. I would say you have fucked up in the same way that Kobol has, but you have never no. fucked up to the degree that he. Did. Okay, okay, yeah. but it's it's like, yeah, um, safety tools are important. Try and be mindful of mm. them. Try and be a good person, yeah. and try and own up to your mistakes when you make them. It's actually probably like like better that we told them what he did so that they can make their own judgment because it it really is a like a make your yeah, own yeah. judgment thing. There's also the degree to which like it as really an is. indie creator. But even buying Dungeon World, which you don't necessarily have to do, uh, is, like, engaging in a much less, like, connected relationship with Adam Coble specifically than buying and, uh, like, using D&D &D content is with Wizards of the Coast. Just because of, like, the scales yeah. involved. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, like, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's a messy situation. Anyway, but, like, it's... Now, um, now we know now we know that. Yeah, it's, uh, Dungeon World is mm -hmm. supposed... It's... Like most PBTA games, it's genre-themed. I think it's actually one of the weakest genre-themes of PBTA games, and uh, I think it kind of suffers for that. But its genre-theme is, is sort of like trying to capture the the the, the vibe of playing D&D &D with your friends in the 90s or early 2000s. Um, yeah. Where, like, it mattered a lot more what the story that you were making together was uh, by virtue of, like, what was emergently happening in the game. More so than like mm. drowning yourself in like the crunch of what the game explicitly permits, which is why it's a PBTA game in the first place. Even though that doesn't seem like a great home for a D and D like thing, so that's its premise. Yeah. Um, as far as PBTA games go, I would also say Monster of the Week is really good. We've we've played two Monster of the Week campaigns. Uh, at some point, yeah. I want to run a third mm -hmm. with uh, which I I would. I 
I would like to run one. Oh uh, yeah, you point. did mention that at one point. So, uh, the the third that I want to run, yeah, yeah. Uh, if I do end up running it, you guys will hear about because it's going to be a game of bards. It'll be like an actual play thing. Oh. Uh, Ooh, uh, oh, I told you about this multiple times. What I want to do, but I I, I can't. I have to be cagey about it because we're being recorded, and I don't want I don't want the audience to hear. But I'll I'll tell you off, off, oh. off the air if you forgot. I am, well, I have I have no memory of it. I'll oh, tell you that much. I will tell you, I'll tell you again. Um, <laughs> yeah, Monster of the Week is great. If you're playing with younger players, Monster of the Week might actually require a bit of explanation because the kind of television that it simulates is not actually very common anymore. Ever since Lost and Game of yeah. Thrones kind of made Prestige TV the new thing, episode of the week television has almost disappeared in basically every genre except detective shows. So I would say the most recent cultural touchstone for it is probably Possibly Gravity Falls. Also, maybe like d- honestly, Inside Job. Quite honestly, although that can also be like problem yeah, of the yeah, week. Yeah. Although that's been cancelled now. Um, I also think. Um, Winona Earp was technically Monster of the Week, although Winona Earp is not a very yeah. good show. It's not as good as its predecessor, Lost Girl, which really was a Monster of the Week show. But yeah, I mean, streaming is killed, like, weekly yeah. TV. It's like, you know... Like, li- literally, it um, might be... The, the easiest way to explain it might be with detective shows, because they're the only kind of television that has, like stayed trapped in the, mo- in the like, episode of the week format. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a really good game. Masks... We should talk about Masks, because as far as I can tell, it's like the yeah. most popular PPTA game at the moment. Um, masks... Yeah, yeah. For understandable reasons, superheroes are hot. Well, yeah, they are, so. and there aren't a lot of good, uh, like, capes games, mm. frankly, unless you want to play Marvel superheroes from, like, 30 years yeah. ago or whatever, or try and, like... <laughs> Dennis, if you're listening, please let somebody do an editor pass on Legends. The game is, from as best I could understand it, really good and it fills a niche in the superhero tabletop games like space that we desperately need a game in but your current draft is unreadable and like <laughs> he knows i've made this this criticism to him personally on reddit right i i really want legends to be good because like he he has he has a really good grasp of the genre that he's like mm. writing about and yeah. if it were just legible and included all of its rules itself, instead of trying to, like, you know, use another game as, like, a jumping-off point, it would be, like, a really good addition to the space. Even if he wants to give it away for free, yeah, I, I think agree. it would get, like, a lot of, of, of downloads, but it, I just can't recommend yeah. from, it currently. From what I've heard of it, as somebody who is extremely into superhero comics and superheroes in general, um, yeah, no, I from what I've heard of it, it sounds, like, absolutely, mm. like, top tier. Um, also, for superheroes, I'd also recommend mutants and masterminds. That's probably what I'm going to do. Okay, but we'll, we'll, uh, that's not PBTF, a... so we'll talk about mutants and masterminds later. You probably want like have a well. I mean, you probably <laughs> want to like talk about it like a little bit more at length. No, not really. <laughs> Fair enough. The 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 thing about uh, masks is it's a PBTA game about superheroes, but specifically about um, like embryonic superheroes, right? Like superheroes. Teen superheroes. Yeah, specifically yeah. Teen, superheroes. Teen, teen superheroes. Um I think you can maybe play non teen superheroes, but they still have to be like it still has to be like a like a sort of like early Bildungs Roman type of thing where like the superheroes are yeah. very newly superheroes and they're struggling with like growing up kind of problems. Um 
which is a very specific remit. Masks does it very well, but because there aren't a lot of other superhero games in the space, it tends to get, like, pulled into shapes that it doesn't really, like, need to be in. So that's kind of the thing to watch out for. But I've never played Masks, but by all accounts it's really good, so if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, by all means check it out. Talking about PBTA, it would be remiss of me to uh, avoid speaking of the elephant in the room. So when I did the uh, the update video, right, uh, which, again, I can't see on the House of Bards YouTube channel, so I don't know if that ever actually went live. Um, but let's imagine yeah. for a moment that it did. In, in, the, uh, in the video, uh, I say that one of the reasons that we're taking a hiatus is because I am making a tabletop game. And I am. Two years later, I still am. Uh, work progresses slowly. And one of the reasons work progresses slowly is because I need constant feedback in order to rapidly prototype what I'm working on, and uh, we have kind of a dearth of playtesters in our playtest server at the moment, so I will be dropping a link to uh, both both to the playtest server and to the like itch page where you can actually kind of see what the game is about. I'm going to explain that in a minute, but... Um, you know, just so that you can like see why it would be interesting. Track Dogs is uh, a a powered by the apocalypse game about train pirates. It is set in a post-apocalyptic future uh, where most of the surface of the earth has been covered in an enormous expanse of old growth forest, crisscrossed by embankments and bridges containing. Uh, railways that are maintained by a large, powerful, uh, mostly nanobot-based god computer that human beings of the time do not really understand, but humans ply the the cedar, as it call as it called the seven cedars, uh, in their like trains, and it's basically like an age of sail game, uh, like with an adventure kind of theme, except it's like. The ships are trains, and you know the pirates uh, ride ride on them, and it's like set in the future. It's campy, it's silly, it pulls a lot from uh, Sunless Sea and uh, and Sunless Skies to an extent, although I've not played as much of that. Um, from things like Sid Meier's Pirates, um, and from Mortal Engines, from Philip Reeve's Mortal Engines, uh, a lot of the sort of kind of aesthetic uh, comes from that kind of place. Um, if you are interested in playtesting that, uh, come along to the, uh, Discord link, which will be in the description, and I will probably have been, like, flashing it on screen during this. Um, we are running a West Marches-style, um, playtest, which means you do not have to be there regularly every week, and what day the testing is on is decided, like, every week at the beginning of the week because I can't do Mondays. Um, so generally speaking, it does default to like a certain number of days, but ultimately it's going to be whatever you all agree on. You don't have to be there every week. Your characters like drop in and out as per usual. This is not a form of play that will be supported in the final game, but given, given the circumstances, because I want to test with a lot of different playtesters and test like the same like aspects of the same playbooks that are otherwise mutually exclusive in multiple different contexts um we have slackened the rules a little to to permit that at this stage of testing um so please do come along have a look at track dogs it's really shaping up to be something special um 
It has in the past been a little bit crunchier in some areas than other PBTA games, but uh, the next update that I want to push out uh, will address mapping in a way that I hope will like make it a little bit less crunchy, or at least it'll have a sort of like crunch once kind of approach where you have to do all the maths one mm. time and then all that information is just like recorded and easily visible so that you don't have to do it again and like the game can go faster. From from what I have played of it, although I haven't been playing a lot of it recently, I've been trying to. You've been yeah, seeing I've been, me. I've been seeing you. you. You've been committing when you can, but you, you have a you you have yeah. you're very tired sometimes, and you have a job that like keeps you out yeah, of yeah. this kind of thing. But um, there is one move in well, the entire game I, yeah. that was written for Beth specifically, and I uh, I don't know if anybody who plays it knowing who she is will be able to figure out which one it is. <laughs> I know. Oh, um, uh, in fact, I actually I played that class initially, and then I was like, "You need to nerf this. It's it's too, <laughs> it's too pro gremlin." You yeah, need but to nerf like it. because you you're to... a gremlin, you're effective at playing it. Not everybody's going to be like that. I I'm not yet convinced that, that it's okay. True, true. Oh no, wait, no. Yeah. Uh, you you, I, I, you told I, me to do the nerf, and I did do the nerf. It was a, like a numeric one, but like it's still yeah, it's it still a very one. good move. Like. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, I was like, I was like, maybe, maybe just a yeah. plus one, <laughs> like instead of a plus two, because it, it's it's. There you go, powerful. folks. It involves a plus um, one. <laughs> so take from that what you will. Um, yeah, um, I think. Um, yeah, it it is a it is a really good game. Alexa's got a really good understanding of what she's doing, and she's made something. I mean, really I do now. I didn't at the start. Here's the thing, right? Like. Um, again, in the update video, which I'm not certain actually went live, uh, I was saying the podcast isn't dead because we'll do an episode when Track Dogs comes out where I do basically a post-mortem on it. So if the game ever comes out, you will hear it. If you want to hear that episode, come to the playtesting server and help me make the damn game. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, cause, yeah. Because I, I will, I will talk us. about the whole thing join about us. how like the game was crap when I started because I didn't know what the theme was about and that sort of thing, right? I will, I will go into depth about mm. creating Track Dogs because I fucking love this game. I've given a lot of my time uh, to it already. Maybe not as much as I as I uh, could have done on any given day, but over the course of these two years, like quite a lot of time, I. I really want to see it come to completion. It started as like a, a like a dumb joke that I just imagined a cover for, like long before I'd ever heard of Powered by the Apocalypse. And then I played Monster of the Week and I was like, I want to make Track Dogs in PBTA. And I have done. The game is, is coming together. A lot of the basic, like, core gameplay loop is complete at this point. Um, might need editing, but, like, the game is playable, right? Um... So there's just a lot that I, I need more feedback in order to make, like, properly. So playtesters, please, if you're at all interested in what I've said, uh, then, like, by all means, like, join the, the Discord. We, we also have roles for people who are not involved in playtesting. So if you just want to see the development updates to see how I'm getting along, you can totally join the Discord and I will give you the red roll and you can just, like, look at those channels without ever actually being asked to participate if your, like, timing doesn't work out mm. for, for any of that stuff. Mm. It's fine. Mm. All aboard. All aboard, indeed. That's what that's what train conductors say, right? <laughs> it, that, I mean, that's not it, shipmen. It, it's definitely what they said at some point. <laughs> I don't know if they say it still. Um, I I think they do yeah. anyway. <laughs> but but it's also a game where the trains are ships, right? So like it would it it would work yeah, yeah. like either way. Um, 
I kind of feel like that's probably all I want to talk about PBTA-wise. Like, there are other good PBTA games. We've played Worldwide Wrestling before, um, on this channel, in fact, mm. but the, like... I do. Yeah, it. unfortunately, yeah, that, that particular game of Bards, the, the audio is, like, fucked up, so I don't know that it's actually particularly watchable. Maybe we should play Worldwide Wrestling again at some point, um... But, no, there's stuff like that, there's stuff like Monster Hearts, um, you know, there's uh, there's a whole lot of different things. If you're interested in making one of your own, there is a free game called Simple World, which is more or less a PBTA SRD, right? And Oh, yeah. And as far as, like, licensing goes, uh, Vince Baker is remarkably chill about this whole thing. To the point where some of the things he says imply to me that he doesn't even believe that he has any recourse against uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games that, like, or at least that if he does have have recourse, it would only be to tell them to stop using his game's name, that he can't, like, really, which yeah. might might be the same yeah. with, uh, with, with yeah. Watsy. It's a good, easy, simple, like, game tradition to get into there's a whole load of very very good games in a whole load of like fun genres making your own is not trivial but pretty easy to do especially with the minimal number of mechanics that you have to interact with they're good games bron yeah they are they uh, are I, I i enjoy many of them yeah if you only want to learn one game actually though uh and still have a wide variety of genres at your tips at your fingertips, rather, your choices are more or less... Uh, actually, I was going to say your choices are more or less... No, there's, there's three things. There's three things your choices are more or less. And I need to find out what the first one is. Bear with me while I look something up. Because uh, your three choices are more or less uh, Fate, GURPS, or Genesis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh Fate and Genesis both have proprietary dice, uh, although Fate's dice, as long as you can like keep it right in your head, can be simulated with G G D6s. Um, mm -hmm. We have not played any of these games. We're supposed to start playing Fate, but um, like scheduling conflicts have meant that that's sort of uh, not going to happen until at least next Thursday. Uh, I really hope that it does happen because I'm, I'm very excited about the fake campaign that we have. Like, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah, uh, like it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Basically, we we basically just went, look, what shit are we interested? in? Yeah, and just in? jammed it all together. <laughs> and we and just it was just like, what was it? Jammed it all. What together. was the specific like like the thing that we came out with was like, um, Indiana Jones style adventure archaeologists coming to terms with their. Uh, like nascent superpowers and defending their mm. finds from Nazis who are allied with aliens in a way that at some point might involve a fight between a couple of mecha. And I was like, God, this is the most fucking gonzo shit. Like what the hell? And then I was like, tonally, you could probably make this work if it was sort of like the midpoint between Indiana Jones, Wolfenstein and Hellboy. So right, that there it's all it's all set at the same time. Yeah, more time. or less. Yeah, <laughs> and we're setting it in 1936 for like various historical reasons. Uh, it's gonna be a fun time, I think. It's I, I'm really excited. So, Fate Core, uh, Fate was originally the system. I, I was like, oh, we should actually explain the system we're talking about. Um, Fate was originally the system that the Dresden Files RPG ran on, which has been spun out to be like oh. its own thing. Fake Core 
expects you to do a lot of the making the game yourself. There are more specific versions of Fate that you can buy if you're interested in, like, a specific kind of genre of, like, game uh, that have more specific rules. But, like, a lot of the Fate Core rulebook is telling you how to set up your campaign and how to use its templates for rules for things like, you know, abilities and skills and whatever to construct character sheets such that you can play the game in a way that is thematically appropriate to, like, what you want. It's basically uh, the opposite idea to PPTA, where instead of going hard into a genre, it still expects you to go hard into a genre. You just have to do that yourself. Um, so it's very it's very good for people who like to be creative in their games. Uh, GURPS and Genesis yeah. are sort of the same kind of thing. I think they're both a bit crunchier. Genesis in particular has a bunch of weird proprietary dice that you need. And I'm also not quite certain yeah. how you, like, how you actually get the game or the dice. Um, GURPS, however, is, yeah. like, enduringly available. I don't even know who makes GURPS. Um, I could maybe look that up so that we're not, like, looking completely stupid. Um... Oh, it's created by Steve Jackson Games. Well, Steve Jackson's sound, to the best of my oh. knowledge, so, you know, that's uh, that's reliable. I don't think Steve... Even if Steve Jackson's not sound, even if he's, like, Me Too'd or cancelled or something, I don't think he's going to pull the same kind of stunt that, uh, that Wizards nah. of the Coast do, so you'll probably yeah. be safe with that. Again, never played GURPS personally, but that's something that you could look into. Something else that I would say uh. is... Um, I can't guarantee that this will happen, but I think it is worth taking a look at the Alien RPG, um, specifically because it has been receiving a lot of praise recently since its release for having a very robust and enjoyable system. I think it is reasonably likely that something similar to the Dresden Files to Fate Core transition might happen for the Alien RPG. Nothing of the sort has happened yet, oh, wow. and the company making the game has not, like, said that they will do, but I kind of feel like they would be stupid not to at this point because of how much I'm hearing about this, about the game. Because, like, at the moment, it's, you know, Alien, the, the, the movie, right? Like, with the with the Xenomorph, with the... Yeah. You know, that's that's how... that That's, that's what the game is about. Um... But it's a it's a new system. It's not like based on something else. And I really think that like abstracting it out is something that the Alien RPG team at Free League, Free League Publishing, uh, might be uh, advised cool, to do. Cool, cool. Uh, there's you yes. know, mutants and masterminds is is a thing. I haven't dug into that just yet, but I've heard good things from my cabal of trans women. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, and I mean, you know, there's always the White Wolf games. Like, if you want to play like some uh, urban fantasy that's a bit like darker yes, and stuff like that. There are. I that that they're a shitty ass fucking company, yeah. but like their products do slap. Like we all know it. It's like, true. I, I you would, know, I would I mean, just look, say if, right. If, I, if, I kind of think that given the like attitude towards publishing that White Wolf and Onyx Path have taken in the past. More so, obviously, than Watsi, but I think less so than most of the other publishers on this list. Can you trust them to not pull some kind of similar bullshit? Yeah, true, true, true. But, like, I I feel like, you know, like, 
I feel like it's a you're remiss to mention. Well, yeah, them, really. I mean, like yeah, we, we should mention them. It's yeah, just, you know. like look, if if we've mentioned Dungeon World, we should we should mention the White Wolf games. Yeah, yeah, we we <laughs> this is true. I I think you're right for sure. Yeah, if we've mentioned Pathfinder, we should mention the White Wolf games. Like you know, like that. Let's be BBC impartial <laughs> yeah, about this. No. You know, by giving undue amount of attention to the Tories and being overly critical of Labour. Um, for that, sure, for sure, <laughs> and completely. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, liberal Democrats who? Um, exactly. But yeah, like it's it's <laughs> it's you know look there's there's plenty of stuff out there, and you know who knows what cobalt press are gonna make that might end up being really good. You know. This is true. We have not seen uh, basically anything about uh, core fantasy or Project Black Flag. There is also. Um, Chaosium's BRP system. Uh, BRP mm-hmm. is the system that Call of Cthulhu runs on, but you can also get it as like a yes. an abstracted like just game unto itself. Um, so that that mm-hmm. is an option. There's a whole load of Cthulhu games, by the way. There's like Call of Cthulhu. There's Trail of Cthulhu. Um, there's like the Gumshoe games, which take a different attitude to Call of Cthulhu to like. Um, detective investigation i have a gumshoe game it's called casting the runes it's like call of cthulhu except instead of hp lovecraft it's based on the works of mr james and like other more like traditional uh early like 20th century horror writers i'm still deciding whether i like it i uh I, i've only really run it like once um because you know i run it at christmas right because a ghost story for Christmas was like the thing that M.R. James did, but it means I don't get to run it very often. Yeah. But there is a new uh, book of pre-made adventures out. This is like the one context in which I will run pre-made adventures is like games like Call of Cthulhu and whatever, like um, quote-unquote yeah. mystery games, uh, just because I'm less like confident yeah. with being able to write like, anything on myself. Um, Monster of the Week is not a mystery mm-hmm. game. Like it calls its like episodes mysteries, because technically there is a a bit of finding out involved. It is it is not a detective game, and if you try and run it as yeah. one, it will find. But you yeah, out. there are all sorts of games. As you know, if you really want to, you can play Blades in the Dark. Let's talk about Blades in the Dark, actually, because that's 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 another <laughs> one. Uh, so we're transitioning to Fate after coming off Blades in the Dark, and it turns out none of us actually liked Blades in the Dark, or more accurately, uh, three of us didn't like Blades in the Dark, and one of us likes Blades in the Dark but does not like the way that we ran it. Um. But given given we all yeah. disliked it for different reasons, I don't know that we can count out Blades in the Dark entirely. Yeah, yeah. Blades in the Dark is um, a it's it's a game by John Harper. You might actually be familiar with it if you still listen to the Adventure Zone because it's uh it's the current campaign is like based on uh, on on Blades and uses Blades. Here's the thing, right? Here's the thing about Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark is like the Pathfinder to like PBTA's Five E. It started as a PBTA game. It changed a lot more of the mechanics than like normal PBTA games do. It became its own context. But Blades in the Dark is, if you've ever played like Thief or Dishonored, the video games, uh, it's like those in a setting that's a little bit more like Bloodborne. And with gameplay that plays out a bit more like Ocean's Eleven or The Italian Job. It is technically a fiction-first game in that the gameplay loop will grind to a halt if you do not have a fiction in a way that something like D&D might not if you were prepared to play it completely like a war game or a board game, right? 
but it is still yeah. way crunchier than your average PBTA game, and that was one of the things that we didn't like. Um, it has a very, very strong set of gender, genre presumptions that it will force you into mechanics about. And, I mean, I, we're making this sound bad. Obviously, if you're, like, if you're into the right combination of things, it's it's based. Obviously, I really love the, the concept uh, at hand. Um, what I would say is that if you're the kind of person who's listened to House of Bards before... Or the kind of person who might have listened to House of Bards before, if they had the opportunity. If you're like a, like a, um, a creative shared narrative, like um, like full imagination kind of person, get rid of the official Blades in the Dark setting. The game implies that you have to use it. You don't. Look at the beginning of the book. Find the specific things that John Harper mentions have to be in the game in order to make it work. Think of what your equivalents are going to be to those to like get your players to not do the same thing. Like for instance, there's got to be a way of preventing the um, the scoundrels from leaving town, because otherwise they would just do that and let their heat blow over. Um, like make a checklist of all of those things. Make your own setting. The weird like forced official setting is like very demoralizing because it's very difficult to play it naturalistically. There's simultaneously too much information and not enough information provided about like all of the material, so you'll always feel like you're making mistakes, but also allowed to make mistakes because you can make up whatever you want, but also kind of unknowingly making the mistakes because you actually don't know what's in the setting. It, it's a terrible time. Make your own setting. That's what uh, the Adventure Zone have done, you know? Apparently their setting has something to do with like a weird carnival. Smart um, lads, smart I, I just, lads. I, yeah. I just, uh, I just. We we did not enjoy. I, I just did. Yeah, we did not enjoy Blades in the Dark, but that doesn't uh, yeah. mean that you won't. So I I will say I think it's a very well designed game. I think it's clear that the creator of the game put a lot of effort into it. I think it is a very well designed game, and if you love that game, it will absolutely be one of your favorite games of all time. But I will give you a swirly and push you in a locker. I'm sorry. I, I just mean, will. I think you're a fucking. The nerd. the other thing about Blades in the Dark, <laughs> I guess its its selling point is that it takes players straight into the action. It elides complex planning before doing jobs, and it uses a flashback system to let you retcon certain parts of the fiction from before the the score, the heist started, in order to like. Um, make it so that you're not completely unprepared and there's a there's a resource system attached to that and and, and so on um which beth really didn't like but if that's the sign of thing that sounds like like you you would enjoy it then uh by all means try blades in the dark mm. blades in the dark also uh much like apocalypse world before it became its own context and has a number mm. of other games uh that are forged in the dark in that they work like Blades in the Dark. Uh, the most famous one is called Scum and Villainy. Uh, Scum and Villainy is, is like a like a Firefly type thing where you're like in space and uh, you know traveling around to do slightly criminal jobs. Uh, there's also like an up-and-coming hack called Band of Blades which is about you being part of a defeated army traveling into the mountains to make a final stand at a mountain pass. So check those out if you're interested. We weren't. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> the, we really tried because I love the concept. I was just like, 
I do. I do love the concept. Everyone's like, it's like Dishonored. It's like Thief. And I'm like, oh, cool. I love those games. It's like Ocean's Eleven. I love that yeah, movie. Yeah, but it's just... There's, there's too much it's about it that's not... not quite for us. But it might be for you. Yeah. You know? I'm not I'm not trying to be judgmental yeah. here because, like, I kind of feel like we're doing people a disservice if we just recommend, like, all the shit that we like and not, like... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, because cause what, yeah. if, what if they've just stayed yeah. with D&D before because they don't really like that kind of thing, you know? It's, um... Speaking of space stuff, if you end up not liking Scum and Villainy, you might try Traveller. I think the best version is Mongoose Traveller, Traveler, the one yeah. by Mongoose Publishing. But like, uh-huh. there's also GURPS Traveller, so if you're already into GURPS, you can combine the two games. Uh, that's sort of about like um, classic like space opera type sci-fi things. Um, it's a bit crunchy. It's not as crunchy as Pathfinder in my estimation, but it's pretty close. Uh, it also, it, actually, this is this is a, a relevant piece of criteria about the Mongoose edition specifically, and probably other versions of the game too. In my opinion, it doesn't one-shot well, so you probably have to like commit to a campaign, or at the very least, to the notion that like you might not get a lot done in your like testing one-shot. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's that's just a warning. Um, I do think Traveller is a great game. Uh, the selling point people generally point out is you can die during character creation, and that sounds like a like a sort of like brutally hard Dark Souls get good thing. It's not. I actually really love Traveller's character creation. I think it's such a cool way of doing things, and uh, one of the benefits yeah. actually that it has is it tends to produce player characters who are a much broader variety of ages than your general like collection of able-bodied probably under 25 mm. D characters i think i ended up making like uh when we did it i think i ended up making like a kind of skeezy car salesman type guy in his like 40s and he was like doing it as part of like midlife crisis yeah, yeah. or something like that i still remember that it was a long time ago but yeah he yeah. was sort of like a skeezy old guild I, I technically i mean <laughs> guild would have to be like re-rolled because i i technically like redid everything for the next time we played Traveller and I have I have a Traveller setting, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't like the default one. The default one is kind of like forty K forty K played straight. It's not great, but you don't have to use it. Um yeah, I have a, a Traveller setting called Exodus, mm. but I've not really like done a lot with it. Uh, uh oh God, I've completely um, sparked on games here. Uh there's Cyberpunk uh Red, I think is their new system of Cyberpunk. Yes, you you could like also Cyberpunk. you could also if you can get hold of them play any of the old Cyberpunks. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah um and uh, then there's Shadowrun. I love Shadowrun. I know even though it's quite crunchy, I do think Shadowrun can be a fiction first game if you try a lot hard of enough. Can, right? Like <laughs> even D and D kind of can, although you really have to like hack apart what the game is intended to do in order to like make it yeah, work yeah. that way but it, you can make it work um, mm. 7th C, let's talk about 7th C I have only ever played 7th C once and I fucking love it I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't recommend 7th C because it's a pirate game and I'm like no, if you want to play a pirate game come and play my game, please, we need playtesters so yeah, but it's different because um, your pirates are on this the is place. true, 7th C's pirates are also in a fictionalised version of, of real life where all the names have been changed but they are in traditional like boats uh, I remember playing a 7th C game uh, where by some curious oversight, nobody in the crew shared a language there was nobody who was completely lexically cut off. Like, for every given crew That's member, so there was good. always somebody who spoke a, a language that they spoke, but there was no shared common language between the crew. It was amazing. 7C amazing. was 
uh, up until very recently actually quite difficult to get hold of, but Chaosium have reprinted it. Um, there's a new edition, but they also sell first edition if you want to play that instead. And there is also, I believe, a, uh, a Wuxia version called Seventh Sea Kitai, uh, which you might try out if that's the sort of thing that you are into. Um, I just remember having a lot of fun playing that. Uh, you could potentially also play the Warhammer games. Uh, games Workshop are kind of a shitty company, but not in the specific way that... Uh, the Wizards of the Coast are. I just think it's funny that they um, went into business with Funko Pop and the the price of their plastic went down. <laughs> Incredible. That's, that's funny about Games Workshop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funko um, Pop was like, you ain't been doing this right. Let, let us teach you. Yeah. yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> Your plastic's too expensive here. <laughs> let us help you. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm struggling with like what else we, we have to hand. You could still play D and D, frankly. Um I don't I know that there are it's there okay. are definitely people whose like custom D and D setups have become so arcane and esoteric that you could probably pull fifth edition out of the middle of it and slot in like a different system and have like yeah. as long as it was a similar enough system, like have it like Broadly work, mm. you know, you have options. Is the thing, sure. It's stay stay the course. If if you're actually into D and D, right? Because I did see a, a post about this about how it can be condescending to like tell people to to not play D and D. Yeah, right? especially when that's like generally what people at their LGS are like interested in playing. Because it's sort of like it's yeah, the yeah. it's the like um, the chicken korma of tabletop. Right, it's like if you're not if you're not sure yeah, yeah. what kind of thing people like, you're going to play that, especially if it, it's going to be difficult to have them to have an opinion. Yeah, and it, but, as well, it's as as I said, it is if you are playing a game and you are in the middle of a campaign, it's a lot of work for a DM. Like this is kind of why I want to bring back House of Bards. There are so many more topics to talk yeah. about, but it's a lot of labor for a DM to like, free labor. You're not fucking pay your dm i know you're not if you are paying your dm please do <laughs> the, not because it creates a relationship between you and the dm that is like unless that was how you met them and you explicitly contracted them for that that is like not ideal in terms of like yeah. the power relationship there yeah uh, and it it's I, I it's a lot of work for a dm to do to do that and it it's it's gonna mess up things it's gonna change how certain characters function it's a big thing to ask. Them. I mean, not you know, they not, did this. Not thing. to not not to you imply know. that I know like anything at all about Critical Role, but they did that with the first campaign of Critical Role, right? They 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 transitioned. Say, yeah, they did. They that. transitioned from Pathfinder to like D anD D five E, and to put it frankly, um, it did cause some it made some problems a like Vaxel uh, Dan. Yeah, Vaxel Dad. It gave him super speed. Yeah, um, um, he was an unstoppable death machine. It made it um, made uh, it made Vex like kind of shit because the equivalent yeah like, yeah the equivalent D and D five E ranger subclass to her very powerful Pathfinder ranger subclass, uh, a was not very good and B had a much more like 
mortal animal companion. So she ended up playing very defensively mm. in a way that a lot of fans did not like, um, which like turned people against Laura Bailey a bit, which I felt was not fair. Um, it also removed the subclass that um, that uh, I don't remember any of the characters' names. Um, uh, D- description. The, what what did this character the white, the do? The white-haired, like uh, round-glassed. Percy, 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 Percy. That's it. It removed Percy's like um, sub subclass entirely, which meant that like Matt Mercer had to produce some homebrew for it, which I saw the initial draft of, and it was not very good. I think having some professional no, editing yeah. uh, to hand with the publishing that they've done more recently has really like boosted the quality of the stuff coming mm. out of Critical Role. Um, I will say it's basically weird because you look at Percy; he's basically a hexblade, but instead of a sword, it's yeah. a gun, right? You, you, you know, you know, he's a hexblade, but like, well, I'm pretty it... sure the hexblade like <laughs> wasn't out at the time that they did that, though. Oh yeah, they, they, they yeah, were like yeah. quite, quite. But early yeah, like on. you know, you know, yeah. you know, um, um, you know, and then you know there are certain characters who I think got a lot better. Like I think Scanlan got a lot better as a bard. I yeah. think. Um, Oh no, the... I've forgotten I've forgotten Ashley Johnson's character's name. Pike Pike, yeah. Pike Trickfoot, there we go. She got really powerful because clerics are actually quite powerful, especially healing clerics in fifth edition. Mm-hmm. Um Grog stayed about yeah. the same because barbarians are always kind of just the same. And then fucking fucking Keyleth got I- amazingly powerful because druids are like Really good, yeah insane yeah they're really good they're like it's a lot a lot to take on but it's a lot to remember except except that she continued playing um like play yeah sorry um except uh that she continued playing keyleth like marisha ray continued playing keyleth the way that she would have played her in pathfinder which was strong enough but involved a lot more wild shaping than like is generally advisable in fifth edition, which meant that like it was a, it was a bit funny initially while they found their feet. So the point being, even between two systems that are very very conceptually close and have mostly equivalents to the things that you want, it can kind of screw up your campaign to change like midterm. So I don't know, maybe don't. Like one of the reasons why I'm thinking of changing to Pathfinder in the next campaign I create is because I kind of want to get this is going to sound really bad. I want to get rid of a lot of the magic classes. I'm like wizard is enough. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> I like I want to get yeah, and I'm like I, like I, maybe bards, but like I don't see much room for anything else really in this setting. Um, but like. You know, maybe, but I'm like, so why why would I just not have one whole magic class that people can, like, pull from what they want and make whatever kind of idea of a magic user they want, which I think is a better way of doing it. And kind of what I wanted for the tour setting anyway, like, you know, like, I'm like, I've had to shove a lot of, like, D&D shit into this setting that I kind of didn't want in there anyway, and I've kind of just gotten used to it you know, um, yeah, and no, put enough. up with it basically, which is like fair enough. You know, like if 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 you're working backwards like me, which is probably the wrong way to do a, a do any kind of campaign setting. Quite honestly, it should be system first. But I don't like doing it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, some some of the games we've mentioned will force you to be system first in that they, uh, yeah. particularly like um, some of the the fiction first games like uh, the PBTA games and stuff. 
basically require you to come in with no preconception except we are going to play this game and create the world together. Mm. Uh, Blades in the Dark doesn't do that, and frankly, despite its very specific genre uh, prescription, I kind of feel like it would be a better game if it did. Um, Mm. But regardless, uh, I hate to say this, nobody does. I don't. It's hard, especially because all of our attention spans have been destroyed by like TikTok or whatever, but like Read the source book before you play. At the very least, read the beginning of the source book where the creator explains what the point of the game is so that you can reference the rules in a more informed way later. But there are other games. Like, I would say, if you're going to continue playing D&D, make sure it's because you actually enjoy playing D&D. D&D, despite Watsi Hasbro's insistence that it can be used for everything, which technically is true, but it doesn't mean it's not painful, is actually a game with a pretty specific remit. It's about Mm. vaguely superheroic-like hero characters in a high fantasy realm performing like mercenary work and doing a lot of combat. The game is very combat-focused, right? And to be honest, if you bulk at that, if you say, well, my D&D game isn't very combat-focused, it's like, Play one of these other games just so that you can understand what I mean by that. Because yeah, it yeah. is possible to have rules of the game that both like guide and also like bolster the kind of non-combat role-playing that you are doing in a tabletop game. And even if you don't like that, I think you owe it to yourself to check it out, right? <sighs> yeah. I you know, if if you're sitting there and you're thinking no, I like playing D and D, and that like I think that's fine. That's, fine. that's okay. And if you're sitting there being like, but if you're you know you're disappointed by this and you want and you're using and you're thinking, oh, maybe I should take a new system. Well, let that curiosity push you, right? Let it, let it go. Like you know, maybe you know if you're a player, maybe say, hey, maybe we should you know play this game sometime. Yeah. Maybe branch out a little bit more. If you're a, if you're like a GM. You know, maybe go, hey, listen, after this campaign's done, I'd kind of like to try something different. And most people are going to be receptive to that because, quite honestly, most of the time it's not the system they like. It's playing a game with your friends. It's the group of people they play with. It's playing a game with your friends. It's about friendship and community. Here's the thing also. You don't have to stop playing D&D. And even if you do stop playing D&D, you don't have to stop playing D&D forever. You can do what Cold Press and Matt Mercer have done. You can diversify your portfolio a little bit, try some new things, and you can go back to the old stuff if yeah. you if you, uh, if you want. And I would say, if you're a player and you kind of want to try and convince your, your GM to try something new, pick something that is a genre that is interesting but drastically different from what you're currently playing, and ideally... Uh, if you want this to actually happen and for people to try stuff out, um, try something that one-shots well so that you can just have a little taste of it. Oh, yeah. Right? A little. Exactly. There's a number of the PBTA <laughs> games. Obviously, as with most games, they're not going to one-shot as well as they campaign. I kind of feel like Monster of the Week in particular like really can do with like a sort of three... Uh, mystery or so like length before it really gets into its stride but you'll get the basics mm. down in a one shot right um, yeah. it, it very much has a, a hit the ground running attitude to the meta plot as well um, as opposed to Blades in the Dark's hit the ground running attitude to like all of the gameplay all the time 
which again you might also be into if you can grok that amount of like complicated rules and enforced like uh pre-built setting maybe try out blades in the dark because i mean the whole point of the game is that it kind of gets to the action reasonably quickly once you actually know what you're doing um mm. yeah you know try try you something know, like that out and then you're not making any kind of like campaign commitment right you're just trying yeah. something and if you like it maybe you yeah. do more of that or maybe you're like, well, you know, let's try other things. Let's play other games. And you can you could have like a sort of like yeah. taster. And listen, like, as thing. much as I hate learning new systems and I don't like it and you can't make me play something I don't want to play. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that like, you know, it's fun learning new things. It is. And I would I would it I would is. reiterate the thing that I said at the beginning, which is that if you are like Beth and you hate learning new systems, but you also kind of want to learn new systems, uh starting with PBTA is nowhere near a bad choice because it comes yeah. with and I can't believe that I'm saying this about like a game that you play with your friends, it comes with transferable skills for other games that you might play with your friends. It's you're not just learning this one very specific genre focused game. You're learning the fundamentals of a number of other games that are similarly genre focused, but in different directions. Yeah. So that that is that is our recommendation. Mm. Bethany, yeah. did you have anything um, more to say about the about the OGL or about like spe a specific game that you're burning to recommend people? Because I kind of feel like we need to. Wrap yeah. Up. You know what? No. Uh, what have we learned, Alexa? Uh, fuck Watsy. <laughs> you know what? Here's what I've also, learned. <laughs> no, also, uh, he never apologized uh, for the Mike Mills thing or indeed like levied any oh, like yeah. consequences on him at all. So whatever episode it was where I said, ah, just pirate the five ebooks actually, that still stands, but for like two reasons now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pirate the 1D&D &D books as well. I don't um, give a fuck. Like, I, yeah, I guess okay, pay attention yeah. to if Watsy do the one thing that we have stipulated that they could do to regain trust, but... I don't think it's going to happen, fam. <laughs> um, mine is... I'm going to try and be a bit uplifting, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm going to say... D&D um, &D isn't a game, it's a people, right? This has taught me that this community is very strong. We, we very much really care deeply about the art of tabletop role-playing, right? Even if the big companies don't, we do. And we are, you know, endlessly creative. We're always going to stand by each other. Even if, you know, we're, you know, the, even if you're from the queer D&D &D crowd, the casual gamers or the proper grognards, it, we are like, we're all united in this. And you know, our skills of pedantry and contrarianism and being really picky and picking over minute details are really useful when you want to piss off a big company. Um, and collective action does work and it does make companies afraid. Um, Which, generally speaking, yeah. even if it doesn't end up achieving anything material, is usually really funny when it's happening because they post, like really silly like weasel word like fucking corn cob bullshit like that update and we can all make fun of it together 
I think the thing that I, yeah. it's quite similar to what you're saying, Beth. But I think the thing that I've learned from this incident, where you know, as you say, the uh, the queer D and D people and the uh, and the normie D and D players and the grognards and the like, you know, other the players of other systems, etc., have all like you know, come together. And and a previous incident, the one that we alluded to, the 30th Magic Anniversary, where all the CCG players, you know, your your Magic and your Yu-Gi-Oh! and your Pokemon players, and everyone who went to Flesh and Blood already, like, could all come together. Um, you know, the, the unifying, galvanizing force in both of those cases was Wizards of the Coast doing something really stupid. So uh, I think, ultimately, what we have established is that in order to achieve world peace, in order to bring a unity and togetherness that the world has never ever seen to this planet on which we live, Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast have to post the fattest L in history, so they better get on figuring out what that's going to be. <laughs> only thing I'm going to add is learning that uh, those Magic the Gathering booster packs were like a thousand quid. Knowing that the Pokemon TCG just had its 25th anniversary and our anniversary packs were, you know, the price of a normal booster pack. Now, in um, fairness, Bethany... I think that's I think that's disgusting. I, I, don't, I don't think you're being fair to, 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 to Wizards of the Coast at all. First of all, the price was in dollars. And secondly, you got four booster packs for that price, so they were only $250. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ.